watching at home. Stay out of trouble. Not recommended for impressionable children. Well, hi everybody, welcome to It Came From Cleveland. Episode 13, Lucky 13. Uh, and boy do we have a fun show for you tonight. Uh, a couple personal favorites uh, to talk about tonight on the show. Michelle and I are very excited to talk about the careers of Peter Weller. Uh, of course, famous for RoboCop, and Bruce Campbell, famous for Ash from the Evil Dead franchise. Uh, very excited, and uh, we'll touch upon a lot of different things from their careers, and we'll have corgi dogs barking in the background, because, hey, it's seven. <laughs> Apparently the dogs go out as soon as I start my show. Um, so, uh, uh, but yeah, so welcome to the show. And of course, Joe Santorsa has a, a, a personal connection to our belated Twilight Zone, uh, review, uh, the mighty Casey from 1960 that aired a week ago, uh, 61 years ago last week. So we're going right. to revisit that tonight and that's very exciting. That's right. Yeah. So personal connection here. Yeah, that's pretty. It's pretty neat. I already know the story, but I don't want to spoil it for anybody. And uh, of course, uh, uh, Miles is going to give us a, a history lesson on the invasion of a, a little-known country in a little-known war. What was that, Miles? Uh, the Battle of France. Yeah, it was. Yes, harsh. World War Two. So uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna uh, because that uh, the anniversary of that was what you said the twenty second. The second's when France surrendered. Twenty second is okay. So so there you go. So we've got uh, working off of uh, birthdays and anniversaries in June, of course, uh, as we do. It's it's our little formula. Plus we have uh, and Michelle has some great trailer blocks for uh, our trailer uh, trailers for our uh, trailer break. Tonight that will feature uh, some honorable mention birthdays, which is very exciting, and because uh, there were a lot of cool people born that we you found you did some d uh, deep diving and found a lot more birthdays than what we found at our uh, our, our weekly meeting. Yeah, I went I went and I went over the lists again really carefully because I thought there were a few more, and darn it, if I was not right, <laughs> you were you were so uh, you you've got a good, got a good eye for detail, so. Um, Peter Weller, I gotta say, I forgot how much I absolutely adore this guy. And he is such, uh, he's, he's like, uh, I, 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 when I listen to him speak in interviews, I just want to say he's a heady cat, man, <laughs> because he really thinks about what he does and, and it's really cool. And, uh, but, uh, of course I couldn't talk about Peter Weller if we didn't talk about my, probably my top favorite movie and we're going to talk about some of his movie appearances 
in order, starting with 1984. Probably one of my favorite movies and a huge, huge inspiration for me as uh, uh, for my sense of humor, for my uh, uh, creativity when it comes to, you know, when I was doing small press comics and things like that and, and my art style. Um, it, it, it just such a cool infusion of so many things in one movie and I couldn't even find a trailer that really did it justice, so I went with one of the original ones from 1984, and that is The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai in the Eighth Dimension. Yes. What a great, great movie. So fun. It has, it really is one of those movies, it's like, you know, hey, take something from uh, uh, this shelf and that shelf and that shelf, or column A, column B, whatever. Um, it, and, and it just is kind of a magical movie, but here we go. 1984's Buckaroo Banzai, the, uh, the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai in the eighth dimension. Evil, pure and simple from the eighth dimension. I'm not ready for this. So what? Big deal. Great Buckaroo Banzai, a common grid danger confronts both our worlds. These are Martian names John Webb, John Fat Eating, John Icicle Boy. <laughs> Martians in New Jersey. Buckaroo, President's on line one, calling about is everything okay with the alien space cloud from Planet 10, or should he just go ahead and destroy Russia? Tell him yes on one and no on two. Which was yes, destroy Russia or uh, number two? <laughs> I'm not worth it, Buckaroo. Forget about me. They'll never break me. Honey, get off the phone. We're giving you a chance to save your planet. I'm out of my missing circuit now! So how eighties is that? <laughs> that music, it's great. <laughs> I, I love it. I love it. And the what an an incredible cast too. You forget, you know, when when you don't watch a movie for a while, you kind of forget how grandiose the cast is, because this movie not only has Peter Weller in the lead, but it has Clancy Brown. It has uh, uh um what's his name from The Fly? Why can't I remember his name? Uh, Jeff uh, Goldblum. Jeff Goldblum, thank you. It has John Lithgow. It has uh, Christopher Lloyd. Uh, you know, I mean, the the cast is is huge and incredible. And uh, oh, what's oh, the female lead? She was she was really um, uh, big in. Uh, sorry, I'm I'm looking, <laughs> I'm looking for the. I finally got my browser open after the the debacle I had with. Um, with Discord getting on, but yeah, uh, Ellen Barkin, yeah, Ellen Barkin was in it, and uh, you know some other other names I don't quite recognize, but yeah, it's uh, you know there's a lot of really cool people in this, and again, it 
it didn't... It had a pretty decent critical reception, but it didn't really go over that well commercially. I think if it had, there probably would have been a toy line. Because <laughs> you could have made a lot of toys from this movie. Because it, yes. it, was, it was crazy how much... Uh, you know, the vehicles and the ships and the aliens and the monsters and everything... Um, it was, but yeah, it was uh, written by a W.D. Richter, who apparently is a pretty, um, uh, uh, strange fella from the interviews I've watched with, um, uh, with Peter Weller when he talks about him. Uh, and, uh, but he adapted Invasion of the Body Snatchers, um, the, uh, the one from 1978, so that was uh, something you know else under his belt, but yeah, this movie you know, and, and there's some similarities in this uh, movie to They Live, uh, with you know uh, aliens among us kind of thing, the or or you know enemies among us that we can't see, um, and uh, but uh, it's not, but it's not quite the you know, it's not the overarching kind of theme because there's a lot of wild crazy action that goes on in this. Um, yeah, this is this movie. We actually, Miles and I were talking about it, <clears throat> and uh, he actually has a favorite scene from this movie. So. Oh yeah, what, it's something what, that actually sticks out in his mind, even though he can't remember a lot of the movies. So yeah, so what what was the scene, Miles? Oh, the scene is when they're the band is playing, and the um, uh, the lead singer just stops the music all real quick and just asks the audience, "Is somebody crying?" Or something to that effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. Um. So yeah. Uh. No, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I. I do remember that. That's fun. Sorry, I got distracted there for a sec. Um. But uh, the uh, the interesting thing. And Joe, have you seen this movie? No. No, I have not. Well, uh, the uh, character of Buckaroo Banzai is he's a polymath. Uh, Dr. Buckaroo Banzai, a physicist, neurosurgeon, test pilot, and rock star. <laughs> and um, it, 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 he basically is set, set out to save the world by defeating a band of interdimensional aliens called the Red Lectroids from Planet 10. So, Is that think, a band or a um, band of? Uh, that is, a, well, he, no, he's in the band. <laughs> <laughs> But I wonder if they're a band. <laughs> uh, yeah, but no, it's it, no, they 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 are not. I don't I, if memory serves. But no, this is a really cool movie. I, I I think you'll get a kick out of it. It's got some really cool cool humor in it. Well, you heard that, you know, uh, one on yes, no on two. Wait, what was two? <laughs> no one. Which one? Blow up Russia. <laughs> you know. Uh, so so some interesting stuff going on. But yeah, and the cast is just, like I said, is just you know John Lithgow, Jeff Goldblum, Christopher Lloyd. You can't go wrong with a cast like that. Um, and uh, it was uh, oh, it was also directed by the the guy who. Uh, oh no no no! I'm sorry. It was directed by D W D Richter. It was written by Earl Mac Rausch. So uh, he was a novelist. Um, uh, apparently, oh oh gosh, he just wrote a a book, Buckaroo Banzai Against the World Crime League. Uh, and uh, it says, Et al, A Compendium of Evils, 2021. <laughs> Apparently, this just came out. 
Um, but uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's interesting. Um, but yeah, so uh, uh, I don't have a lot of clips from this just because uh, for time's sake. But of course, I had to you know clip out this one. There they are. Don't you see him? What do you mean? Who? Evil, pure and simple from the eighth dimension. Yeah. And, uh, of course, uh, John Lithgow uh, apparently gets asked to say this line quite a bit uh, <laughs> to people. Laugh a while you can, the monkey boy. Laugh a while you can, the monkey boy. <laughs> so, that's very good. And uh, I did uh, look at a little... Uh, you see, this is the tough thing. When trying to... Um, Peter Weller, he's a very cerebral guy. And when he does interviews... An answer is like ten minutes long, so it's real hard to find audio that's that's short. Um, but he did have an amusing story about the the world premiere in New York City of uh, of Buckaroo Banzai, and uh, he met somebody there. They did a premiere for the movie here in New York that I went to, and on that night. A girl walked up and said, gee, I really liked your movie. Have you got another stick of that bubble gum you're chewing? That's what she said. I really liked that movie. But have you got another stick of that bubble gum you're chewing? And it was Madonna. <laughs> and that's the first time I ever met Madonna. I said, sure. How cool. And, uh, you know, Roseanne, uh, Roseanne. Arquette. Arquette. They were working on that. I said, you know that is? I said, no. She said, that's the next uh, super rock star in the world. Said, oh, really? Sure. <laughs> So yeah, Madonna bummed a piece of gum off of him at the premiere. <laughs> uh, that was fun. Um, but uh, but yeah, so uh, I highly recommend this movie. You cannot you cannot go wrong again with that kind of cast and and again it the the throw everything at the wall kind of approach. Uh, it, it's it's really a classic film, and uh, you know let you know like Miles doesn't even remember most of the movie, but there's one scene that. That even stands out for him. So, uh, check it out. It's rated PG. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, one of my favorites. I enjoy it. Yeah. I mean, there's just two... And you know what? And as a musician, I watched Peter Weller playing guitar and whatever horn that was he was playing. It did not look like he was faking it, especially on the guitar. A horns, I'm, I'm not so good at telling whether people are faking it unless it's really blatant. You know, unless they just don't move their fingers at all and swing it back and forth, you know. Um, but I'm very critical of, of when people play guitar on television or in movies. Because, you know, if they're just, like, moving their hands all over, it's it's just embarrassing. And I'm like, that is not how you do it, you know. It's like Susan will watch movies and see somebody knitting and they're knitting wrong. And she's like, no! <laughs> it's I'm sure everybody has a skill and if you see somebody doing something on, on television or in a movie and they're doing it wrong, you're like, oh, groan. Joe's probably yep. seen <laughs> seen tennis scenes that uh, are, are like, really? That's your form? You know? Uh, you know, uh, but I, I'm sure we've all we've all been there. But the guitar, I always watch. But he really, I think he might have played guitar on it. It wasn't a super complex uh, guitar lead that he was playing on the song. But where his fingers went, that's where those notes are. So... Uh, it was pretty impressive. But anyway, definitely not playing any guitar in the RoboCop suit. Uh, my God, I, 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 if you ever get a chance, go on YouTube and listen to Peter Weller talk about the nightmare of the RoboCop suit. 
Um, because that's what I was talking about where, you know, talking about like a 10 minute answer, but he said it took him, um, and, and I think he does mention it. It took him eight hours a day just to get into the costume. I remember something like that. I remember hearing that he had a lot of trouble with it because it was so clunky and so, yeah. uh, vision restricted and, and it had yeah so. it had to be modified so he could actually move uh you know because uh they they brought in this uh uh expert uh pantomime guy uh to work with him and apparently this guy i don't remember his name but he he was like a french israeli former military guy and he all studied under marcel marceau and stuff like that and uh he came in and, and he was like the only calm guy in the room and he's like, okay, let's see what we can take away from the suit and make it work. So they started taking out like pieces from the elbows and the shoulders and the bottoms of the shoes and things like that. And gradually it was able to work. And Peter Weller says it, it, in the beginning, you know, RoboCop was, he was going to move like Spider-Man. You know, he was going to be really fast. And, um, and then the, the pantomime guy was like, no, you need to do this slowly. This will work. And he's like, it looks so cheesy and stupid. And then he showed him like this old silent film about, um, I don't know, some dictator or something like that. It was played by this, you know, really big opera star. And, uh, and, and he had these really stark, dramatic, you know, he would, you know, turn and raise his hand, you know, um, and, you know, freeze and cock his head and look cheesy and, and he's like that doesn't look right but in that but he said by the time it was done it worked it worked it looked great and then with the addition of the sound effects and everything it just sold the whole thing and uh but there's some more interesting stuff about robocop that i want you to hear hear about from peter weller uh but in the interim let's listen to the 1987 trailer for robocop We get the best of both worlds, the fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming. It is my great pleasure to present to you, Robocop. This guy is really good. He's not a guy, he's a machine. Old Detroit has a cancer. Cancer is crime. Let the woman go, you are under arrest. You, you better back up, pal! Your move, creep. What are your prime directives? You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. What is this shit? Anything you say may be used against you. A cyborg, you idiot! You recorded every word you said. You're dead. We killed you. His memory is admissible as evidence. You're gonna have to kill it. Get a cop for God's sake! <laughs> Robocop, the future of law enforcement. Yeah, so uh, the cast of uh, of this movie as well. Uh, what what a brilliant cast! Uh, oh, and by the way, Nancy Allen also uh, she played um, 
the uh, uh, Murphy's partner, uh, what was her, Nelson? Was that her uh, character's name? Um, uh, yeah, Ann Lewis, I'm sorry, that was her name. But Nancy Allen played uh, Ann Lewis. Uh, her birthday is uh, on June uh, 24th, so it was yesterday. And Peter Weller's, of course, is... Um, uh, I, I don't. <laughs> I should have had more browser tabs open. His is also the twenty fourth. Oh, also a little fun fact about uh, Peter Wellis. He just had a wedding anniversary because he married his uh, lifelong sweetheart uh, on his, I believe, fifty fourth birthday in uh, June fourth, two thousand six. On his fifty ninth birthday, he married his longtime girlfriend and actress uh, Sherry Sherry Stowe. At the Santa Maria uh, Assunta Church in uh, uh, Positano, Italy. And among the guests attending were Carrie Fisher. So, uh, oh, that's nice. kind of cool. Um, but yeah, so he has a wedding anniversary on his birthday. Uh, and um, But yeah, so uh, let's see. Uh, but yeah, there, there's so many great scenes in, in RoboCop. And I... You know what? I I had a really hard time. I watched uh, his uh, quote unquote death Murphy's death scene in the movie. It's horrible. It is so horrible, and it's so well acted. Um, and uh, and and you know what? Just absolute uh, disgusting gore. You know from that too. That kind of became a, a bit of a staple for Paul Verhoeven, but. Uh, you know, he he is a pretty versatile director, though. Uh, you know, because, you know, Verhoeven did, um, you know, uh, he also did Naked Lunch, which we're going to talk about later. Uh, that had some crazy special effects in it. Very um, creepy sexual stuff, uh, but not really a lot of blood and guts. Um, bug guts, maybe. <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, so uh, uh, this is where uh, Lewis meets uh, Robocop, a.k.a. Murphy, uh, since we have two birthdays on the same day from the cast. Jerry, book him. I'll catch up with you later. Oh, hello. I haven't really had a chance to introduce myself. I'm Ann Lewis. Do you have a name? How can I help you, Officer Lewis? It's not really what I meant. Don't you have a name? Murphy. It's you. You really don't remember me, do you? Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening. So, um, one really interesting thing about the cast here, and Michelle, I don't know if, if you knew this or not, but not one, not two, but three cast members of Twin Peaks were in RoboCop. Because we had Ray Wise, who played one of the thugs. That was uh, Laura's father on Twin Peaks. Uh, yeah. Miguel Ferrer, uh, who uh, was the the uh, guy kind of in charge of the RoboCop program, 
but yeah, he was. Um, uh, that was his. This was his breakthrough role in RoboCop for the most part. But yeah, he he played um, uh, partner to um, David Lynch's uh, character. Uh, yes, and then uh, Daniel O'Hurley uh, played. Uh, he. Um, who was he? He was uh, well. He was the old man in RoboCop, and uh, he was uh, oh, and he was uh, in Halloween season of the witch as well. But he played uh, Andrew Packard in Twin Peaks from ninety to ninety one. So, uh, but yeah, so there you know he's been in a he, he had a, a pretty interesting little career, uh, and his uh, he was born May first nineteen nineteen, and he passed away in two thousand five at the age of eighty five. Um, but yeah, so that's pretty cool. Who would have thunk RoboCop had a, that big of a Twin Peaks connection, huh? That's neat. I like that. Yeah, yeah I, re- and, I remember all those characters now that you now that you stated. Yep. Yeah, and uh, of course, one of the big bads uh, in well, two of the big bads, Ronnie Cox, of course, has been in so much stuff. Deliverance, to you know, say the least. Um, uh, you know, that was probably his hugest role. Um, you know, outside of becoming a staple in a lot of other films, and uh, Kurtwood Smith uh, played the dad on that '70s show. He was he was the main uh, thug in in uh, RoboCop. So another you know really cool ensemble cast. Um, and uh, I don't know, uh, Joe, is, is RoboCop a movie you've seen? Joe, are you there? I am. I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> have you seen RoboCop? I have a long time ago. Yeah. Probably when it first came out. Yeah. So I know a lot of. It, it, I think a lot of it. A lot of people misunderstood it when it came out as just a straight up like action movie, um, sci-fi action, and kind of missed out a little bit and the humor actually aged rather well in this for the you know the uh, corporations and you know the militarization of the police of course you know it, it was prescient on many levels uh miles uh do you fan of robocop yes uh that that uh i don't think i've seen the new one I have. I I, I've I, seen the old one. Yeah, I, I I don't like the idea of them remaking it. Right. I've seen the. I think there were two RoboCops in the old one, but yeah, I, I remember it. Were, uh, Michael Ironside yeah. loved him, and uh, yeah, definitely a. Uh, you could see the corporate backstabbing, and uh, that was heavily heavily uh, played in the movie. Well, I think there were three RoboCop movies at least, but uh, uh, Weller did not come back for uh, three. I think he just did two. So, uh, somebody, a different actor played Murphy in, in the third one. So, uh, which is a shame, which is a shame. Um, a lot of good sequels had, uh, you know, of, of kind of weird movies like Dark Man. Sam Raimi's Dark Man had Liam Neeson in the first one. And then, uh, Arnold Vosloo, I think, played, uh, Dark Man in the second one. So, you know, I, I love, love all those weird movies like this with the, um, and by the way, in uh, something I thought of Michelle, I thought what a what a dream uh, a team up or a fight between RoboCop and Ash. Oh, 
interesting, but I don't I don't see why they would be fighting really. Well, that's the thing that happens. It's this it's the it starts every good superhero team up starts with a fight. A misunderstanding. Okay, yeah, he could, you know, Robocop could come up across Ash as he's taking out a, a, an evil dead zombie and think he's like slaughtering a real person. See? And yeah, there you go. There you go. So uh, they could swap notes on their hands. <laughs> yes, yes. But anyway, uh, we got to run to the break. Uh, we got to kill the hippies rock block coming up. Uh, some interesting stuff for the break tonight. Uh, a couple live tracks from them. Uh, one of the very first songs Matt ever wrote for the band, uh, Empty Vessel, performed live, I think, in 2018 at the Beachland Tavern. And then a version of... Uh, the Stranger from I, I think it's I think it's The Stranger um, from 2005 at the Lime Spider in Akron and then uh, very interesting uh, we're, we're, we're kind of pushing the boundaries here but uh, he sent me a cover tune that he did with very good uh, cover version um, of a song uh, that I was not familiar with until today uh, called New England by Jonathan Richmond and the Modern Lovers. Uh, so it's pretty interesting. Here we go. We got some Kill the Hippies music. I'd buy that for a dollar. I would kill the hippies and a Kill the Hippies band. In blood. This song's called Empty Vessel.
Ohio, so why should I care? But I just happen to like it there, so guess I'm just a square. Already been to Paris, already been to Rome. Dummy 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 dum dummy dum day. But what did I do but miss my home? Oh New England. And well I've been out west of California. Oh New England, I missed the place where I was born. Oh New England. Dummy dum 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 day. I love New England. Dummy dum 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 day. Baron play Oh New England It was nice but so's Maine Oh New England Dumb it on it on dumb dumb day I love New England Dumb it on it on dumb dumb day Oh New England So, uh, welcome back uh, to It Came From Cleveland, episode 13. I'm um, doing my deep dive into uh, Peter Weller. Uh, some surprising stuff in his career as well. Uh, but I, I want to get back to uh, some of his interview stuff um, uh, from Robocop. This is actually him on the set in 1986 being interviewed by Bobby Weigand. I think that's how you say her name. Uh, but this is, uh, this is, uh, you know, it, it, again, you see, it, as he gets older, he gets very cer cerebral about what he talks about. But even as a younger man, he was uh, pretty heady about things. Uh, let's just get right into it. First of all, we hear the shots in the background. Guns uh, going off. What, what is the storyline of RoboCop? The plot is about, it's, it's set nebulously in the future, and it's about a good Joe, an average guy, a good policeman who is taken by the powers that be in corporate America, put in a lethal situation where he almost loses his life. He's taken away. He's transformed into a cyborg, a cyberneticized human being, a walking computer, a, a killing machine. And um, partway through the movie, through a series of events, he discovers that there's a something inside of him, a soul, if you will, a humanity that he doesn't realize as a robot is there, but he has glimmers of it, and then he, become, he begins on this search to find out who he was. And it's an action-adventure yarn, and it's a thrilling tale of vengeance and um, good guys and bad guys, but at the core of it is the, the beautiful part of it, which is why I did it, and I think why Paul Verhoeven's doing it too. It's a story not unlike Beauty and the Beast. It's about 
a wonderful person trapped in uh, the body of or the accoutrements of a beast and it's about humanity trying to struggle through it's about the goodness of uh, people trying to transcend um, the evils of the computer if you will that's what it's about to me anyway and it's a gas it's a little bit like the Wizard of Oz too you know it's like if I only had a heart when this role was offered to you, did you just right away say, oh, I yeah? did. I did right away. Now, when I heard the title, I went RoboCop. Well, and then Paul Verhoeven's name was connected to it. And uh, truth be told, about a year and a half ago, I wrote down on a list of objectives to do in the future five directors that I really wanted to work with. And he was number three. Uh, I was truly uh, just taken and stunned by his work. And so when I heard his name connected with it, I said, you know, shouldn't be fooled here by this title, although the title sounds action-like and so forth. There's something else to this because if Paul Verhoeven is doing it, you can bet there's some story about humanity in it. And sure enough, I read it, and there was. And I walked right in and told him, look, I love your work, and I want to do this thing. And so after some politics, here we are. And he's, he's very, he has a lot of praise for Paul Verhoeven uh, as well. Uh, and, and rightly so. Uh, I think... Uh, Verhoeven uh, has gotten, I think he got a lot of bad flack back in the day uh, from, you know, because he, he did, uh, he directed some kind of stinkers, you know, he did like, uh, base, uh, well, Showgirls um, and, you know, some other, you know, stuff like that, but uh, but, you know, he did uh, uh, The Fourth Man in 1983 RoboCop in 1987, Total Recall in 1990, Basic Instinct, which got a lot of acclaim in 92, uh, Starship Troopers, which we just talked about last week, Hollow Man in 2000, um, uh, and uh, 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 L from 2016, great, great foreign uh, thriller. I think it's French. Um, uh yeah, it's a, yeah, it's L. It's a French for she or her. Uh, Twenty sixteen thriller directed by Paul uh, Verhoeven, based on the novel O by Philippe Dijon. Uh, but um, but he's done some really remarkable uh, films. I I in in and again, uh, he also did Naked Lunch, which we're going to be talking about here shortly. But um. But yeah, you know, it, it, Michelle, it's interesting to hear people, especially back on the set back in the day in these kind of old, rare interviews, talking uh, quite favorably and thoughtfully about the movie they're doing. Yeah. Um, it, it's really nice when an actor can look at a, at least a director and go, I want to work with that person. You know, hey, sign me up. And it's, it's um, RoboCop is, I enjoy it. I still enjoy the older version. Mm -hmm. I don't think I've seen the newer version either. So I, you know, I think I've seen the newer one, and I was just like, they they're doing it wrong, you know. It, it just did it didn't make sense to try and re reboot that franchise. Um, you know, maybe do something else in the world uh, of RoboCop or something. Uh, you know, do something. It, it's kind of like what they did with. Um, uh, with, with what Ridley Scott did with uh, Blade Runner, well, I mean, he—I I don't think he directed the the newer Blade Runner, but you know, it's like do something in that world with different characters, 
you know, maybe the RoboCop program continued, you know. Uh, and if you know, you need, t- and tell if that you story. Need a, yeah, and if you need a key character, you know, just keep him in the background like, like Harrison Ford was. You know, just, you know, keep him as something that shows up later or mm-hmm. something. Make him yeah. the main focus. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, uh, and, you know, I, I think if it was a smart enough script, Peter Weller probably would have agreed to come back for it. So, um... Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, again, this, it's just a classic that I, I don't think should be messed with. Um, I, I want to get to this one though, uh, because it, it, his opinion on it has changed over the years on what the actual meaning of RoboCop is. And, um, uh, and, and this is an interview from 2013 from Ain't It Cool News. Uh, and I thought, and again, it was so hard to get newer interview stuff with him because he really likes to talk, and and you know, and but I'm not saying he even likes to talk about himself. He likes to talk about films, which is really interesting. Here's a robo thought for you. <laughs> robo thought. We threw eight directors, American directors. Nobody wanted to do it. They thought it was cornball. Paul Verhoeven, man. I don't. Have you ever seen any of his movies? You ever seen? Yeah. Okay, the guy is nuts, but the guy is like a a a. a he's a, he's a, got a master's degree in medieval history. He wrote a book on the historical Christ footnote and everything. He's a scholar. He's steeped, steeped into a traditional myth, right? Okay, I'm going to show you this one thing. You're going to live this. There's a scene, and I want to blow it for you guys. It's like essentially, there's a scene in it where initially I'm twirling a gun, and Nancy Allen will remember me. She says, you know. Murphy is that you and then something else happens with Paul McCrane and then then I start having dreams. Verhoeven reversed this. Verhoeven said no, the dreams first. Okay, in America movie making and essentially the sort of epicenter of how we construct stories and how we're in love with them is that you have physical events that happen to you, right? He sees the girl on the street. Oh, yeah, it's Mike Murray. He's a guy with a white hair. I knew him in high school. You go and you see a yearbook, and all of a sudden, you have you know, some sort of unconscious sort of metaphysical experience. That's my friend Mike Murray went to high school with. You know, like, who is Mike Murray? And bang, it's Mike Murray, right? That's how we do it in Hollywood. That's how the 20th century novel does it. You have physical evidence, right? And you have a metaphysical reaction. Got it? I've said with this suite with Verhoeven, who's steeped in the Hebraic tale of the golem. Anybody's read the golem? Anybody's Jewish here knows the story of the golem? <laughs> okay, the golem is that the town needs the bad guys wiped out. They conjure up a spirit to help them wipe out the bad guys. Then they don't want the spirit anymore. And he goes, come on, you made me. That's that. Everybody read the book of Job? Right? They take everything away from him, everything away from him, everything away from him. He's still got faith and he's restored. Or... You can see it in here, Jesus. Jesus is right out of, or Akhenaten in ancient Egypt. The, your physical life is not your real life. Your metaphysical spiritual life is. So Verhoeven says to me in this suite, he says, Peter, listen. This is a story about in the name of progress, in the name of commerce, in the name of business, in the name of the world, they take a man's life in the name of what they think is good, they sacrifice a man. But what they don't take 
because it's God-given or cosmic-given is his soul. And the soul wakes up on its own because it's the only thing they can't have. Got it? And when the soul wakes up, his soul is born out then by a physical life, not vice versa. Is this profound? Yes. yes. You getting this? <laughs> this is what Verhoeven brought to this movie. You know, eight different American directors that have never seen that shit. Never. It would have been okay. It would have been good. It would have been brilliant. The, the denouement of this thing is that I got to sit back. I got to stand up on stage. And Paul, Paul and I had some fights. And he almost fired me once. And then, you know, he's completely mad. And the, the robo team, the special effects guys, some of those brilliant guys in the world, finally had to say, you can't come near this trailer or we're not going to work. Because he's pounding on a trailer. All the time. These guys got to do six and a half six and a half hours of my prosthetic head at the end of this movie. It's the longest prosthetic in the history of film. Six and a half hours just for the head. And then another hour and a half to put the suit on. So I worked an eight-hour day already before the day starts. Matter of fact, I was going to the set when the crew was coming in from drinking. Going, hey, we're going to bed now. I'm going to work. It was grueling. It was absolutely grueling. But Paul, Paul's ingenuity, Paul's vision, Paul's particular dynamic Paul's sense of what this movie would represent, the scenes of crucifixion in it, the scenes of walking on water, the scenes of, oh, there's everything you can imagine here that he infused with it. And subsequently, it is the rebirth of a spirit. This is what this movie is about. And man, you can watch it forever, and I think that's what makes yeah. it classic. So I'm sitting back the first time I really got how powerful this film was only six months ago, and I watched it at UCLA. So that's kind of you know, and, and Joe, I appreciate you know, you know him as an as an older actor there, um, you know, having a fresh perspective on a film that he made, you know, thirty some years ago, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, we were talking about that just today with some friends about looking at movies we loved thirty years ago or hated 30 years ago mm -hmm. bands same thing and how our perspectives have changed yeah um and, and and that's true it's it's some things you you found funny you were 20 don't find funny anymore oh god they don't there, age well there's so many you things know? so many things <laughs> but also and the flip of that we just happened to be in a a, a vinyl record store today oh awesome and you know, and 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 um, the 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 idea that bands that I thought were like mainstream, and I would never give a second thought to. Uh, all of a sudden, they're sounding pretty good. Yeah. And so, I mean, I, I could see his point of view. How how over the time that's passed, he he has a different perspective on on his work. Yeah. So, and I think most artists would do would, would like yeah, that. pretty interesting stuff there, Miles. All all the history that he's taken into account for that that's gone into this kind of storytelling. It is good. Um, I mean, history is. I mean, especially you know you're bringing in uh, the Bible, the Bible and the religious uh, aspects of it. So yeah, history is always a great, full of great stories that are you know, some you know more often than not better than fiction. Yeah. Well, Adam says, keep in mind, this clip is after he got himself a Ph.D., so that could be, be why his perspective, perspective shifted. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, and again, you know, learning, whether it's a Ph.D. or just life itself, you know, learning and, and, and growth uh, will definitely change your perspective on, on things. 
Uh, but yeah, that was pretty cool to hear from him. And, and you could tell Michelle that I was like, okay, well, I narrowed it down to a four and a half minute clip. <laughs> you know? Yes. He's, yeah. He sounds like he can be very verbose. I've never really seen many interviews with him, but he definitely yeah. has some really, really good points though. And it does make sense. I mean, it's all about, you know, uh, the outside trying mm -hmm. to control the inside, trying to control the human spirit and the human body, the human soul. You yeah. know, if you believe in such. So yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Well, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna I'm gonna save my naked lunch stuff because there's a couple things that I want to play from more recent history that he's participated in and I think our fans uh, and listeners would would enjoy hearing. Um, and uh, we're a little pressed for time here and I want to make sure we get to Miles segment, give him uh, plenty of time. And um, but uh, this is uh, this is something new to me. I probably knew this, but I probably forgot. Is that in? Uh, let me see. Where is it? Um, Peter Weller in uh, 2012 and 2013 did some voice work that I would like to play for you. Here are two trailers back to back. The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and 2, where Peter Weller actually plays Batman himself in an adaptation of the Frank Miller uh, classic grim and gritty graphic novel from the 80s. Uh, and um, I gotta say, Peter Weller's Batman, pretty cool. Tonight marks the 10th anniversary of the last sighting of the Batman. All units, robbery in progress, Gotham City Trust. They call us a gang. Only when they die by our hands will they know Gotham City belongs to the mutants! What the hell is that? Batman! Come out here and face me like a man! What's your name? Carrie Kelly. Robin. She's smart. Brave. She's perfect. These are scary times, Bruce. It's just random violence. The war goes on. I will tear him limb from limb! He's in his prime. He'll kill you. Show you who rules Gotham City! I'm not finished yet. You ah! just crippled that man! He's young, he'll walk again. <laughs> like a criminal we are criminals we always have been look one of these days someone with authority is going to tell me to come stop you and when that happens i hereby issue a warrant for the batman's arrest when that happens may the best man win he's a murderer now jim if you've talked to him you have to let me know he and i don't talk anymore you have gotten old. <laughs> I made you lose control. 
<laughs> All the people I've murdered. It ends tonight. Is he dead? I guess you gotta watch the movies to find out. So there you go. Uh, the, I mean, and that makes so much sense. And it's such a nod to, like, the 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 brutal justice of RoboCop and the brutal justice of Dark The Dark Knight Returns. Um, it makes so much sense to, to cast uh, Peter Weller in that role, you know? Um, I, 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 it's, it's just a really cool thing. So, uh, Michelle, do you approve of, uh, letting, uh, uh, RoboCop have a turn at Batman? That would be cool. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, actually, yes. The act yeah. The actor has, has a good voice for it. And especially yeah. as an older Batman, it really, really fits him really nice. Yeah. Yeah. So, and again, no slight to Kevin Conroy whatsoever. I just I, I do happen to enjoy it when they give the roles of Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, whatever in these DC films to uh, you know versatile and talented actors that you know have, have contributed a lot. Um, but yeah, yeah. What's <laughs> yeah? So, uh, but yeah, Miles, there you go. Uh, good animated uh, uh, two-parter for you at some point if you want to watch it. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So, good. yeah, and uh, Miles, I got this one for you too. Uh, for all its flaws, there were some pretty great moments in J.J. Abrams' Star Trek Into Darkness, including the introduction of Peter Weller as Admiral Marcus in a pivotal scene uh, after Khan has been taken into custody and uh, Kirk and the crew of the Enterprise want to take him to Earth to stand trial. Although. Admiral Marcus, played by Peter Weller, has other plans, and the Enterprise is intercepted. On screen. Broadcast shipwide, for the record. Captain Kirk? Admiral Marcus, I wasn't expecting you. It's a hell of a ship you got there. And I wasn't expecting to get word that you're taking Harrison into custody in violation of your orders. Well, we, uh... We had to improvise when our warp core unexpectedly malfunctioned. But you already knew that, didn't you, sir? I don't take your meaning. Well, that's why you're here, isn't it? To assist with our repairs? Why else would the head of Starfleet personally come to the edge of the neutral zone? Captain, they're scanning our ship. Is there something I can help you find, sir? Where is your prisoner, Kirk? Per Starfleet regulation, I'm planning on returning Khan to Earth to stand trial. Well, shit. <laughs> you talk to him. That's exactly what I was hoping to spare you from. I took a tactical risk and I woke that bastard up, believing that his superior intelligence could help us protect ourselves from whatever came at us next. But I made a mistake, and now the blood of everybody he's killed is on my hands. So I'm asking you, give him to me so that I can end what I started. 
And what exactly would you like me to do with the rest of his crew, sir? Fire them at the Klingons, end 72 lives? Start a war in the process? He put those people in those torpedoes. And I simply didn't want to burden you with knowing what was inside of them. You saw what this man could do all by himself. Can you imagine what would happen if we woke up the rest of his crew? What else did he tell you, that he's a peacekeeper? He's playing you, son, don't you see that? Khan and his crew were condemned to death as war criminals. And now it is our duty to carry out that sentence before anybody else dies because of him. Now I'm gonna ask you again. One last time, son. Lower your shields. Tell me where he is. Ugh. That actually kind of gives me the chills, Miles. That's a good scene. That is a very uh, heavy, heavy scene. And uh, yeah, I, 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 uh, I don't, I didn't hate it. I, I like Christopher Pine's portrayal of Kirk, but uh, yeah, uh, Weller made a great bad guy there. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you being a war buff and seeing the tactics going on here, you've got a, you know, that that probably uh, tickles your fancy as well. <laughs> uh, kill it, get getting rid of the uh, problem by, uh, yeah, have. By essentially having somebody else do it for you, uh, yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much like, uh, hey, let's, <laughs> hey, my God, look, this guy, all the all this blood yeah. on my hands will get washed away as soon as this dupe does yeah. what I tell him to. Yeah. And uh oh, all right, well, I'll tell you what, uh, I've gone on a little bit too long uh, with this uh, segment on Peter Weller. Obviously, you guys can tell I'm having fun talking about him. I've got a great admiration for him because he's been in so many great films. And again, I'm, I'm even taking out one of my favorite films right now, and maybe we'll get to it by the end of the show, Naked Lunch from 1991. If I don't do it today, we'll talk about it on William Burroughs' birthday. How about that? <laughs> so, oh, that worked. That's a great uh, movie, though. It's really weird. <laughs> it is. It is. So, uh, But anyway, we're going to go ahead and go to the break. We'll be right back, and we'll talk to Miles about a little WW2 history. Speaking of war, strategery. We'll be right back. I've had this dream for more than a decade now. A dream which I've invited you all to share with And now, on with the show. Laugh a while you can, monkey boy. It's going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror, and you're invited. A foolish unto you. Something evil. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. I got news for you, pal. You ain't leading but two things right now. Jack and shit, and Jack left town. Not recommended for impressionable children. Nope, not when Bruce Campbell's involved. <laughs> 
Alright, welcome back to It Came From Cleveland, episode 13 for June 25th, 2021. Uh, thank you for letting me indulge in Peter Weller for so long, and I hope everybody enjoyed that. Uh, welcome back, Michelle. Yes, I, I do enjoy his stuff, and I enjoy... You know, I hope you, you check out the, the clip I sent you. So, if you've never seen the movie, it, it's a good one. All right, yeah, I, you know what, I, I will admit to you right now, I will be a straight shooter with you. I didn't get a chance to, because it totally fell down the, uh, uh, the, the rabbit hole today. Um, but I, th I, I think I might have saved that trailer. I'm not sure. Um, it, uh, it, it's okay. Everybody, look for the order with with Peter Weller in it. You will enjoy it if if you like your your you know your church and 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 supernatural thrillers. It, it's oh, a good one. you know what? I might have seen that now that you mentioned the the premise of it. I I think I might have seen that. Um, and of course, uh, uh, Joe Santorso, welcome back. We're looking forward to your Twilight Zone personal deep dive uh, next segment too. Yes, can't wait. All right, and Miles. Uh, last but not least, uh, well, you, you're going to regale us with, uh, well, the French, <laughs> and yes, um, and uh, not, uh, not 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 uh, necessarily their accomplishments. Um. Well, in. There were mistakes made. <laughs> I'll be going. Wait, over hold on a that. second. Hold on a second. Did you did you say? Uh... Did you you literally said mistake, and I had my finger on the clip for French mistake. <laughs> so uh, great blazing go. saddle scene. So yeah. Uh, <laughs> the Battle of France. So a little preemptive. Uh, all right. So we all know in World War II kicked off with uh, Germany invading uh, Poland in uh, 1939, and um, you know he was it was it was a land grab, you know, shared with uh, the Soviet Union. Yeah. And then uh, so Brit British and France said no, we're declaring war. And there wasn't really any hostilities, but they did declare war. Mm -hmm. So Hitler was like, all right, I'm going to slap him around a little bit. Then I'll offer him some peace and things will go back to normal. No problem. I'll get my I'll get the land I gained and everything will be fine. Yeah, that didn't happen. The French and the British basically turned down um, Hitler's offers of peace. So now. Uh, Hitler's are all like, okay, well, now we got to go teach him a lesson. So he's getting his generals, hey, you know, battle plan, take care of the French. You know, we need to knock them out. And uh, I think it was a German commander named Halber that was coming up with uh, main plans, and it was not that good. So a second one came up with another plan that was very ambitious, but mm -hmm. it could have ended in disaster because the problem that, well, that the, the general Halber saw was that the See, in Poland, when the Ru German tanks went in, the Polish res uh, fought them with cavalry. I'm not yeah. talking mechanized cavalry. I'm talking horses. That didn't go well. Now, the Brit the French had mechanized uh, uh, tanks. They were front front line uh, first war first world troops. You know, they weren't a pushover. And so this was the fear that if this the things went wrong, the German the French will kick our asses. So they're like, eh, eh, eh. but apparently, 
Uh, Hitler liked this other general's plan. Like, yes, it's ambitious. But look at all the advances we can make. Let's go. So mm-hmm. um, that's where things really start to get interesting because uh, you need to know about the Maginot Line. Does everyone know what that is? I don't. Okay, the Maginot Line. It okay. So World War One happened back in nineteen teens, and Germany lost, and uh, they they suffered a crippling uh, uh, treaty, Treaty of Versailles, which you know basically was the seeds of World War Two. That's what they called anyway. Mm-hmm. So the French, knowing to in order to prevent a second German um, disaster. Uh, like what happened in World War One, because if you've ever seen any of the movies, like Sergeant York and whatever, the trench warfare, oh my God, it was just horrible. So yeah. the French, wanting to prevent this, built the Maginot Line, which is an earthen embankment lined with a bunch of fortifications like pillboxes, concrete pillboxes with cannons, and it was designed to stop German tanks. Okay. It was hardcore, and the German, uh, you know, uh, brass, the generals, were like, yeah, that's 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 some serious shit. We can't deal with that. So this uh, this second plan that was come up was to go through Belgium, Luxembourg, and the Netherlands, um, and go invade France through that route because the Maginot Line effectively only covered the French-German border. Okay. And now, this is where I got to give a a nod to my uh, history professor in college. Um, I got to divert and tell this story. So this is an old Southern gentleman, and he walked into class, no books, no papers. He would just sit down and start talking. It was great, great kind of storytelling history. And we just all sat there listening to him. Anyway... Um, one note I will make, he kind of had a off-putting, uh, that, that was just a, I mean, it was funny at the time, but, you know, like you say, it doesn't age well. Mm-hmm. The kind of things he would say is, like, for example, he would say, like, Eleanor Roosevelt, uh, this is how he described her, she said, she looked like 40 miles of bad road. Oh, boy. Uh, very, very unkind thing to say. I know Eleanor Roosevelt isn't, you know, the most attractive woman, but yeah. Anyway, so depends on your of, taste. Yeah, so um, the history teacher. So I I can't remember his name, but he he basically said that it was the king. It was the king of Belgium or Luxembourg that basically uh, told Hitler. It's like uh, I think it was Belgium. Said Belgium is not a highway. And then he said, pretty much on uh, May 9th or thirteenth uh, or the day that it, uh, the invasion started. Uh, Hitler began to pave. Ah, oh shit! I'm French. sorry. I hit the wrong button. Sorry. <laughs> wrong button. Yeah, I was trying cool. to play the French right, so music I, and I played the Orson Welles clip. So go ahead. That's cool. But, but uh, y'all need to know what the Maginot Line is because it's very important about why the Germans just poured through Belgium and uh, Netherlands and Luxembourg. Okay. And Lux now the now the military forces of Luxembourg. Probably weren't that much. The place is tiny. I mean, we're talking, it's like 25 miles wide by 50 miles high. It's its tiny. Mm-hmm. And so um, it like basically 
folded. Um, yeah, so on, um, so after the invasion of Poland, Hitler's like, I want to kick France's ass. Give me a plan. Give me a plan. Give me a plan. Delay, 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 delay. All these generals couldn't come up with a plan, and so it didn't happen until you know uh, 1940 in May that the invasion began. So uh, the code word that was given out was Danzig, and the secrecy of the invasion for Germany was so. I'm going to use the word impressive mm -hmm. that the uh, German officers <laughs> weren't in position to receive the orders. <laughs> wow! So not a, not all of the German uh, you know units responded in mass to the uh, command word when it was given. You know, like Order 66, go. You know, the, it wasn't that efficient. So. Um, but Luxembourg was in no position to resist. I mean, they pretty much looked at, you know, what the Germans were massing and against what they had, and they just said, no, we give up. So yeah. Luxembourg fell in a day. Oof. Uh, the Netherlands and the and, and the Belgians, however, did put up some uh, resistance, and that's where things really start to get interesting. But it, they don't hold up well. The plan was, for, on the Allied side, that they would basically rely on the Belgians and the, and, and, and the Dutch to slow down the Germans enough that the Allies could mount a defensive line. And that plan didn't work. The, yeah. uh, the Germans were, were armored divisions with Blitzkrieg and they were just rolling over uh, the defenses. I mean... The Germans did take losses. There was some heavy fighting, but the Belgians were just really not not prepared. The Dutch army on the May 14th effectively surrendered, and their army was largely intact. So they made another calculated choice, like you know Luxembourg did, just basically like, well, we're going to lose, but we can save some people by just surrendering. And so that sure. was their calculation. And then on uh, May the 15th, <laughs> the French Prime Minister called Churchill, basically to tell him that we've been defeated. I mean, that's how how bad things were when with, with Germany's armies massing right there on it. it it's because uh, France did send some forces into. Belgium and uh, you know the Netherlands to fight, but they were they were getting their asses handed to them like everybody else, uh -huh. and that's how defeatist the French were in that um, situation. It was it, he called Churchill, and on the sixteenth of May, Churchill flew to Paris, and he the shock he saw because he saw basically a government caving. They government of France was already burning their archives. Oh my god. To prevent the it from falling into the hands of the Germans. That's what how and, and they were already preparing to evacuate Paris. Yeah, this is May 16th. It's it's that bad. And so Churchill went to a um a French general 
and uh, he asked, hey, where are the reserves? And the French general said, none. <laughs> I guess his English wasn't that good. Or, oh, or he spoke okay. French and that was the, you yeah. know, whatever. And, and then, and then a Churchill pressed him and just said, when, when is the counterattack? And the German, I'm sorry, the French general's response was, inferior numbers, inferior equipment, inferior methods. That was wow. his response. Now, there were some counterattacks um, by the French. I'll get to them in a moment, but that's how that's how bad the morale of the French were. So they the French had a number of uh, tank divisions, and this this they were top line stuff. They weren't as fast as the Germans. Um, and I think the Germans had bigger guns, mm. but the French armor was thicker and better protected. But because the Germans were more mobile, they were able to flank them, you know, and get around to the behind to the rear armor and, 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 and deal with them that way. So the first French tank division that was up fighting up in the, you know, the Netherlands ran out of gas that's how badly prepared the French were for this. They couldn't even the supply lines. They couldn't maintain gasoline fuel to their vehicles, and so if your vehicles are running out of gas, guess what? Guess what use they are? Not much. Yeah. So the the first French tank division just fell. The the third division was assigned to take out a uh, German bridgehead. Because the Germans, you know, were there a lot of bridges to be taken and held to uh, slow down the enemy. They failed, and they got wiped out. The wow. second tank division was supposed to counterattack, and the commander of that division was only able to find seven out of the twelve divisions, or <laughs> of tanks, because they were scattered across the line and fighting. Ooh. And so, while he is forming them up. To 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 uh, formate, you know, to organize them to where they can be an effective fighting force. The Eighth Panzer Division shows up and rolls over them while they're just forming up, while they're they're not even prepared to fight. So yeah, th this is the this is the Allied side of things. On the um, it, it it was a shit show of of just, I mean, you can you can. You can just imagine how bad it was getting where the, the it was <sighs> anyway. Let me get to a point about it. Well, somebody that's something that everybody knows, that is Dunkirk. Yeah. So um a British general arrived on the nineteenth and told uh, the, the, the British general in charge of the forces there, look, you've got to attack. Amiens. I think I'm. Uh, forgive me if I mispronounce the name. It's a city on the river that connects. Um, it's a very vital point that connects, sort of like the Dutch and the French. It's a. It's a. It's a, a, a flow point, if you will. Because if the Germans take that, it's over. They won't be mm -hmm. able to get supplies of fuel or ammunition from the French mainland because the 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 Germans will have pushed all the way to the coast and isolated the uh, the British expeditionary force and a large amount of French forces and, of course, whatever's left of the Belgian forces. 
And the German commander basically said, well, I'm sorry, the British commander there basically said, well, I'm under the command of the, the, the French commander, you know, Billouette. And so, and, and this is this is another scary part about how bad the French uh, were at this. He, he said that he had not received any orders from Billouette for the past eight days. Yeah. I just want to let that sink in. When your when your army is not receiving orders for eight days and you're sitting on your hands while the Germans are fortifying, while the Germans are pressing and attacking, you're just asking to get your ass kicked. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, you know, a failure to communicate. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, on, on the highest level. And you think so, they'd be able to communicate with that ridiculous accent that they have. I'm French! <laughs> Why do you think I have this outrageous accent, you silly king? Alright, sorry. So I had to this, get in all uh, my French drops, so there you go. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Only good. So this German, uh, this British general that, that saw how desperate the situation was, he returned to Britain. Mm -hmm. And he pretty much expected the loss of the British Expeditionary Force and ordered the construction of anti-invasion preparations in Britain. That's how bad he considered the situation. That, that screw it, France is lost. We need to defend Britain from being sure. invaded. And so we're talking about, you know... Uh, barbed wire, I all guess, that stuff. About I guess this is maybe on one shores. positive thing that came about uh, from this is that you know uh, England was able to take note and uh, prevent the same uh, kind of attack. And uh, but then again, that's probably why they had to endure all the bombing too, because they were ready at their borders. Well, the English Channel did prevent pre pre present a natural. Yeah, defense. true, true. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, March 23rd through June 4th was the crap show that was Dunkirk. So, I think... Did I, did I already cover uh, Dunkirk? I think Dunkirk was covered on a different show, but yeah. I think I did cover it. Yeah, because I watched the movie and I, I think I discussed yeah. it. So... Um, there was a second, they didn't do a movie on it, but there was a second evacuation done as um, after all the British uh, and French forces were evacuated, that could be evacuated, but they lost thirty to 40,000 troops at Dunkirk because they were holding rear guard action. You know, they were holding the line so that their brethren could be evacuated. So we, they lost all that, but they saved a crap ton of number and a lot of French were repatriated by the British Navy into the Br French mainland to you know continue the fighting but because things were so bad for the French it started a second mass evacuation out of French ports and the Luftwaffe was really just gung-ho about sinking ships and one ship that was sank uh, 4,000 men died you know that's it, it was yeah it, it, i mean Pretty horrific it, it it is horrific so as bad as things were for the french they did have moments of some glory where they were able to get some you know they 
this part I definitely need to talk about. So on June the 5th, this okay. is after Dunkirk. On June the 5th, the second German offensive started because they had they had just taken taken over Dunkirk. Nothing, no problem f uh, into the north. The, the pocket of resistance had been eliminated. So now we go on to France. And the French had 64 divisions left to them of um, less than frontline troops because the best that they had was already up north fighting. And that's what was either evacuated out of Dunkirk or what have you. So what they had left was less than stellar in the body. And that 64 divisions that the French had were mm -hmm. up against 142 divisions of German mixed forces. Oh, wow. Tanks, foot troops. Yeah. And the Germans had air superiority on top of that, which is not nothing. I mean, when you got planes raining death sure. down upon your artillery positions and your tanks, it, uh, you know, it, 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 it's, it's horrifying. Mm -hmm. So, another mention, I want to bring up this uh, story that um, the um, history teacher that I remember from 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, so, Blitzkrieg. The Germans are all about mounting fast opposition, getting their, you know, their, their tanks rolling and, 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 and lightning strikes through and hitting the enemy where it hurts, blah, blah, blah. And they're pushing for Paris. Yeah. And he told me the story about, uh, I, I tried to find it, but I couldn't. So I'm going off a of memory off of what this history teacher told That's me. That's fine. This, he, he, meant, he talked about there was this small force of men. They had, they were, I mean, we're talking like they had howitzer guns. They're anti-tank guns. Sure. And they were at a um, critical position on a, on a road up on a hill. And this is, a, um, I imagine it's similar to that story I told about the, the French, uh, not the French, the Russian tank story where yes. they attacked the German line and mowed them down. One, one tank just a duck shoot. Anyway, these uh, howitzers saw in a column of French, uh, German tanks approaching and opened up on them, started taking out, you know, tanks were exploding. And the, uh, and this was a, a, a token force. This was just a small amount of, of men mm -hmm. that, that were fighting. But they were so ferocious and, and so uh, good at, at, at causing harm to the Germans that the order to hunker down was given. So when tanks are up and moving, they're up and moving. But when you order them to hunker down, that stops the entire process. We're talking, it's like, just imagine a, a uh, traffic jam. I mean, it's yeah. just everybody comes to a complete stop as you try to take defensive positions. Uh -huh. And so the, the, these, the, the French defenders were eventually killed and destroyed, but uh, it did slow down the German offensive enough to where uh, more people could escape Paris. And it was, but it, it, France fell. I mean, yeah. I mean, this, this is, this is now, we're now June, yeah. you know, 15th. And on June 16th, prime minister of France resigned. Oof. It was it. He, he was the, it, yeah, yeah, he gave up. Well, oh, Bill Ouette, that, that general, he died. Oh, I'm running out of time. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. We, 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 we got a, we got a hard break coming up. So, uh, all right, can I but, quick talk about the surrender? Yeah, go. 
So the French offered to surrender. The Germans are like, yep, all right, we'll accept your surrender. It, Hitler insisted it happened at the uh, Forest of Campagne, which is where the Treaty of Versailles was signed. The same uh, uh, railway car that the treaty was signed in was found and brought to that location. And Hitler sat in the same chair and listened to the preamble given of the, uh, the, the peace treaty. And then in, an, in a very Trumpian act of disdain, walked out and had an, a subordinate uh, sign the oh. treaty on the next day. So, yeah, that happened. I just needed to talk. Yeah, it was very Trumpian of him because Hitler was, anyway, he was a narcissist. Too. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. Well, uh, thank you, Miles. But we we got a big break coming up because we've got a new mythical cool, cool. moment and uh, in the robots uh, continuing uh, saga of uh, Francie's question: uh, How many robots does it take to change a light bulb? Part two. And uh, and Adam finishes up his uh, Monkey King um, uh, uh, four-parter, four-parter on a mythical moment. So look at me, I'm stealing from him. I'm doing multi-part robots. I mean, the robots are doing multi-part robots. But all right, so we're gonna come back. We're gonna talk about our belated Twilight Zone uh, episode, uh, the Great Casey, and. Um, and Joe's got some personal connections to that. We'll make sure he has plenty of time, and Michelle will have plenty of time at the end of the show to talk about Bruce Campbell. We'll be right back with more. It came from Cleveland right after this. Ah, the French. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert with Mythical Moment number 12. Sun Wukong the Monkey King Part 4 Monkey Gone to Heaven When we last left Monkey, he had continued his reign of simian terror. Fresh off of successfully shaking down Ao Guang and his three dragon brothers for a weapon in nice clothes, he made a shambles of hell when his soul was arrested. After killing the two who had arrested him, he bullied the ten judges in King Yama into letting him look through the ledger of life and death. He then struck out his name in the name of every monkey on Flower Fruit Mountain, forever rendering them outside of Hell's jurisdiction. The Jade Emperor was about to send the entire force of Heaven's army to deal with Monkey, but Goldstar instead suggested that they allow Monkey to come to Heaven and assume a position in the Celestial Bureaucracy. The Jade Emperor reluctantly agreed, and Goldstar was sent to Flowerfruit Mountain to fetch him. Goldstar found Monkey quickly enough and told him of the offer of amnesty and new position in heaven. Monkey was happy to finally be recognized and accepted as an immortal deity at long last. With a whip of joy, Monkey challenged Goldstar to a race to heaven and Cloud somersaulted the entire way in an instant. Goldstar eventually caught the Monkey and escorted him to the palace of the Jade Emperor. Monkey presented himself and the Jade Emperor officially parted him. Then the issue of job came up and the Jade Emperor asked about positions to be filled, only to find out there were currently no official vacancies. Caught in a bind, the Jade Emperor named Monkey Guardian of the Heavenly Horses. Of course, Monkey had no idea this new position had been entirely created out of whole cloth and had no real rank in the Celestial Bureaucracy. It was made solely to keep Monkey occupied and was in essence an overhyped stable boy. Monkey accepted this appointment anyway, 
and was escorted to the stables of heaven to assume his new post. Monkey took his new job very seriously and was actually rather good at it. He took good care of the horses, making sure they were well-fed, well-groomed and exercised, kept careful records and soon had the stables running efficiently. This surprised many in heaven who had basically dismissed Monkey as a troublesome primate and a barbarian. However, no matter how hard he worked or how well he did, he was still nothing more than a stable boy in the eyes of the celestial bureaucracy. One night, Monkey enjoyed a banquet with the people who worked for him. And as everyone ate, he asked if his job was a great job or the greatest job. The others blinked awkwardly but smiled and nodded. By that time, Monkey had a vague idea of how just important rank was amongst the mortals, and he finally asked a question that would change his fate in heaven. What, exactly, was his rank there? His workers cleared their throats, bracing themselves before explaining that he actually had no rank. He smiled and asked it was because his job was too important and couldn't be ranked like normal. They shook their heads and told him it was quite the opposite. He was so low in heaven that he didn't qualify for even the lowest of ranks. As the guardian of the heavenly horses, he was in a no-win situation, they told him. No matter how well he did, the best he could expect to get was a begrudging, Good job, monkey! And if he did poorly, he might get beaten, or worse, expelled from heaven to roam the mortal plane as a demon. Monkey finally realized the truth. He'd been played for a fool by the Jade Emperor, who had taken advantage of his naivete. Outraged over the fact that he'd been taken advantage of, Monkey let all of the horses in the stables out. Once there, he put up a banner outside of Water Kernan Cave, declaring himself to be the Kitiam Da Sheng, the great sage equal to heaven, along with a second smaller banner stating that the Jade Emperor was a big, mean, lying poopy head. In heaven, the Emperor read the banner after putting on his good reading glasses and was outraged that this monkey would dare consider himself the equal of heaven. And he wasn't a big, mean, lying poopy head. He quickly began to marshal the forces of heaven, but Goldstar, devoted to his pacifism, stepped in once again to suggest that they recognize Monkey with the title Great Sage Equal to Heaven and give him an actual rank in the bureaucracy. The Jade Emperor arched a brow and told Goldstar that he had made literally the exact same suggestion not even one mythical moment ago, before agreeing and stating that there was absolutely no reason it wouldn't work right this time, before sending Goldstar back to Water Curtain Cave. Next time on Mythical Moment, Monkey returns to heaven, where he takes up the glamorous work of a peach rancher before wreaking utter hell in heaven once more. For Radio for Humans, and it came from Cleveland, this is Adam Hebert. Reminding you that even Confucius said that if you perform the same experiment over and over again and expect different results, that is surely a sign of madness. Back to you, Kenny. There's a difference you sense here. You can see it everywhere. Background music is Medieval Fantasy Adventure by Alexander Nakarada, who can be found at www.serpentsoundstudios.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. Thanks, Alexander. on the robots. Francie asks, how many robots does it take to change a light bulb? I happen to have a light bulb in this basket of witchcraft items I found in a haunted house. 
Here, Here we, we go. go. Dear Squeezo Pecker to Mali Reformer Bitupi Mutat in Misericordia Sempaterna Nostalsis Amipuli. I'm scared. I'm scared out of me what's. And now, part two of Francie's question with the robots. I can't run anymore. I just can't. Me legs are going to jelly. Go on without me. You can outrun that evil demon light bulb baby we created with evil witchcraft. Don't forget me. And keep yourself alive. As alive as a robot can be. I refuse to leave a robot behind. Come on robot fellow. You can persevere. We must escape the evil light bulb baby we created with evil witchcraft. Please, stand up. Run with me. We can escape this madness together. Gasp. Grunt. Groan. Sigh. I suppose I has a little fight left in me to escape that wicked light bulb baby we made with evil witchcraft. Help me to me feet other robot. Grunt. Strain. Gasp. That's the spirit. We will run to the robot exorcist castle just beyond the valley of sorrow. It will be a challenge and we will meet many enemies along the way, but I think it's the best plan of action. We must rid ourselves once and for all of the evil light bulb baby we made by using an evil spell book of evil spells of a witchcraft nature to change that light bulb into a demon baby that chases us and haunts our dreams. I regret going to that haunted house where I found that basket of evil witchcraft items and that poopy light bulb. What a mess. Sing it sister. Now we run. The robots ran for days to reach the exorcist castle beyond the valley of sorrow. They thought they would meet countless enemies along the way, but they made a number of powerful allies to help them defeat that wicked light bulb baby that they made with wretched sorcery. I'm not sure if you noticed, but the creepy light bulb baby hasn't even shown up yet in this episode. Maybe it just ran off and will never be heard from again? I really don't know. I just got hired as Robit narrator last week. I haven't even gotten my first check. Okay then. Let's see what's happening with them robots. No you stupid dummy. This is our cliffhanger for next week. Wrap it up you moron. Oh crap. I messed up. I have never been a narrator before so, I beg your forgiveness. To be continued. Oh, those wacky robots. Thanks so much. Better alive, you are coming with me. Ah, uh, the continuing saga of the robots. And I apologize, I didn't realize uh, Adam, uh, the Monkey King saga, will continue as well as the robots' uh, journey through the Valley of Sorrow to get to the robot exorcist castle. What? what? <laughs> oh, those wacky robots. Uh, so welcome back, Michelle. Uh, looking forward to talking Bruce Campbell in a little bit with you. Yes, uh, give me some sugar. Excellent. Uh, I got some supplemental material for you as well. And, uh, and uh, Miles, thank you for a little uh, history on uh, on what happened. Uh, how many years ago in France? Was that 70? How many? 80, 80, 
80 years ago. 80, 82? 82. 82. Okay, yeah. Okay. I, I forgot. Time marches on. And uh, last but not least, Joe Santorsa, also heard on the Tim Coromel Show. Uh, you've been uh, championing the bit to talk about the Twilight Zone. And this is an episode we, we didn't have time for last week. But fortunately, there wasn't a Twilight Zone episode that aired this week. So this this aired a week ago, uh, last week, 61 years ago. Um, and it is one of your personal favorite episodes. And I've got five clips here for you. Um, uh, would you like to set it up before I play the Rod Serling, Rod Serling intro? Uh, well, basically, it's a, it's a comedic episode of... Yes. It is the plucky. Twilight Zone. It is plucky. It is, but um, no. Let's go into the narration, and uh, right. I think it's, it sets it up pretty well. But it's itself. a it's a sports bloopers episode. What you're looking at is a ghost, once alive but now deceased. Once upon a time, it was a baseball stadium that housed a major league ball club known as the Hoboken Zephyrs. Now it houses nothing but memories and a wind that stirs in the high grass of what was once an outfield. A wind that sometimes bears a faint ghostly resemblance to the roar of a crowd that once sat here. We're back in time now, when the Hoboken Zephyrs was still a part of the National League, and this mausoleum of memories was an honest to Pete stadium. But since this is strictly a story of make-believe, it has to start this way. Once upon a time in Hoboken, New Jersey, it was tryout day. No, he's not yet on the field. You're about to meet a most unusual fella. A left-handed pitcher named Casey. All right. Okay, so what happens here is um, we have a, uh, a well, baseball a little, team, the Zephyr. Yeah, there's a, little, there's a lot of grousing going on before we meet Casey. Right, because uh, the Zephyrs are, well... They're they're hardly a professional team. They are a professional team, and uh, you know they're up against the the Brooklyn Dodgers and all of, of the time and and all mm -hmm. this. And um, well, the Zephyrs were having tryouts uh, during this time. Um, it they these these people that are coming off the street to try out for a professional baseball team were not. Uh, I was and, cracking up at the guy with the ripped, the fat guy in the ripped shirt doing jumping jacks for for like ten minutes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah. So, and the general manager is giving the manager hell, saying, you know, your your job isn't, to, you're not going to have a team if this does. These people are losers and everything. And um, yeah, he's disgusted with the the, the tryouts and everything, mm -hmm. and he knows. We're headed for another losing season. The Zephyrs may no longer be, but um, a surprise comes along. Uh, Gets a phone call in the dugout. Yeah, and a guy uh, a guy wants to talk to them. A uh, guy in a suit and glasses. Doesn't look like an athlete, but... Uh, I think that's this clip here. Let, let me, let me okay. play this. I think I've got that. Mr. McGarry? All right, what's the gag? Did this muttonhead put you up to it? You're the pitcher, huh? Big joke. Yak, yak, yak. Big joke. Oh, no, no, I'm not the pitcher. I'm Dr. Stillman. Though, of course, I have thrown baseballs in my time. That was before the war. Yeah? Which war? Oh. Uh... 
1812. Ah, here comes Casey now. He's the pitcher. Casey, uh, this is Mr. McGarry, the manager of the Zephyrs. No, no, no. Your right hand, Casey. Your right hand. Oh! 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 Matt Casey has such a powerful grip, Joe. Yeah, I wonder why. Um, <laughs> yeah, he hurt the manager there. He has a he powerful did. grip. Um, the reason being, um, Casey is, uh, how should we put this? He's a robot. He's a robot. I mean, what a he's great, a robot. yeah, I mean, what a great follow-up uh, from the robots here. Um, yeah, he's a robot. And I, I think we've got, a, 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 I think this next clip kind of explains, uh, I, I believe this is the one. Here we go. It was father? His father? Casey's? Oh, no, no. He has no father. Well, I am what you might call his, uh, well, kind of uh, creator. How old is he? How old is he? Well, now, that's a little difficult well. to say. <laughs> well, guess. Now, what I mean is, it's uh, hard to be chronological when discussing Casey's age, because uh, he's only been in existence three weeks. Now, what I mean is that uh, he has the physique and the mind of a boy of 22. But in terms of how long he's been here, well, now, uh, the answer to that would be uh, three weeks. You want to go over that again? Oh, it's not too difficult, really. You see, I made Casey. I built him. He's a robot. Now, these are the uh, blueprints I worked on. Why do you have to pick on me all the time? Huh? his fastball. <laughs> Slide whistle. <laughs> That's his curve. <laughs> I had to get the slide whistle clip in there. I've got a soft spot for slide whistle. Yes. So, uh, turns out Casey is uh, the answer to the manager's prayers. The pitcher that can take them to the pennant. They could beat the Dodgers. They could beat the Yankees. They could beat everybody because Casey is a robot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, sure enough... Uh, the Zephyrs really have a run. They they make a run for it uh, with Casey as their pitcher, and they all and they all uh, get behind them, and and they start winning games and become a pennant contender. And then one day, as fate would have it, um, <laughs> a batter hits a line drive and uh, hits Casey Robert. Yeah. In the head. He gets and, beaned. 
And thank you, uh, Michelle, for the newspaper headline. Casey Beans! (laughs) (laughs) Well-timed. And uh, waiting, I had it waiting. There you okay. go, there you go. You are our our uh, JPEG, uh, uh, the the mistress of JPEGs uh, here. So that's great. Uh, but yeah, so Casey ends up going to the hospital, and uh, I love that he, he's a young man of twenty one who looks about thirty five. You know, <laughs> well, he, the outward yeah. appearance. Um, but yeah, so I've got the the hospital scene. Um, where the, uh, well, you can explain what happens. There's, um, uh, the doctor is, uh, checking him out and he makes a, a discovery. Yes. Uh, do you have that clip or do you want me to explain this? Well, set it up a uh, little bit. Um, yeah, it's like, yeah, the doctor's looking at him and, you know, he's looking at his eyes, seeing if he has a concussion and, uh. Or a percussion, whatever, but a, con- a concussion. And, and curiously, um, he puts the stethoscope to his chest, and there isn't anything there. And and this they- starts a whole series of problems for the Zephyrs. And confessions. And, and confessions. And so, confessions. Yeah, so right. so they, they fess up that, uh, that Casey is indeed a robot, and... They uh, come to an agreement to allow him to keep playing, and and that's where this clip starts. Article 6, Section 2, The Baseball Code. I quote, a team shall consist of nine men. End of quote. Men, understand? Not robots. He's suspended. That's my final decision. Commissioner, to all intents and purposes, he is human. Casey... Talk to him. Tell him about yourself. What should I say? You see, he talks better than me. And he's a lot smarter than most of those mutton heads I got in the club. He is not human. How human do you want him? He's got arms and legs and a face and he talks. And no heart. He doesn't even own a heart. How could he be human without a heart? Beasley hasn't got a heart either. He owns 40% of the club. That's it, gentlemen. He doesn't have a heart. That means he isn't human. That's a clear violation of the baseball code. Therefore, he doesn't play. Mr. Commissioner, suppose we gave him a heart. If that's the essential thing that makes him different, I think I could operate and supply him with a heart. You can do that. No trouble at all. Do you want to play? Of course he wants to play. (laughs) You're sure? I guarantee it. If he were to be given a heart, uh, would you classify him as a... Well, what I mean is, would you call him a... You had me fooled, even without one. All right, all right. With a heart. I'll give him a temporary okay until the league meeting in October. Then we'll have to take it up. All right. Take it away, Joe. All right, well, uh, they give him a heart. Uh, it's quickly done. And, and uh, I don't even want to think about what the science is behind this. <laughs> no, you got to sort of go with this. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It, 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 a lot of, of suspension and disbelief with this episode. I really wanted to see yeah. those blueprints. So Yeah, well, anyway, he gets back onto the field, and um, he starts pitching again, but his fastball isn't quite as fast. 
And his and, curveball uh, his, isn't his, as quite as slide whistly. Slide whistly as it used to be. <laughs> and uh, the Zephyrs start losing a lot of games because the opposition starts hitting hitting a lot of home runs off of uh, Casey. Yeah, which is peculiar. Well, yeah, there's a reason for this because you see when you give somebody a heart, well, oh, he has emotions. That's true, and I have a, the the audio for that for the for the end for you, and then we'll get to all your your personal ties to this. So, okay, uh, here we go. All right, so Casey's got a heart. The thing is, Mister McGarry, I, I just couldn't strike those poor fellows out. I didn't have it in me to do that, to hurt their feelings. I felt compassion. That's it. He's got compassion. See how he smiles. Give a man a heart, Mister McGarry. Particularly someone like Casey, who hasn't been around long enough to understand uh, competitiveness or drive or ego. What's the heart made <laughs> out of? I'm sorry, Mr. McGarry. I just can't hurt fellows' careers. Dr. Stillman thinks I should go into social work. That's right. I want to help people. Bye. Well, I know somebody you can help for a start. Me. Perhaps you'd like to keep Casey's blueprints. A little memento might cheer you up. Jeez. Hey, Doc, wait a minute! Doc! Hey, Doc, wait a minute! Doc! Hey, Doc! Wait a minute! Once upon a time, there was a Major League Baseball team called the Hoboken Zephyrs, who during the last year of their existence wound up in last place and shortly thereafter wound up in oblivion. There's a rumor, unsubstantiated, of course, that a manager named McGarry took them to the West Coast wound up with several pennants and a couple of world's championships. This team had a pitching staff that made history. Of course, none of them smiled very much, but it happens to be a fact that they pitched like nothing human. And if you're interested as to where these gentlemen came from, you might check under B for Baseball in the Twilight Zone. I hope none of those new players got beaned. Yeah, well, <laughs> the funny story there is is that uh, that little narration by uh, Rod Serling at the end uh, was a not-so-veiled reference to the then Los Angeles Dodgers who were moved from Brooklyn to Los Angeles around in the 50s. And I, do, had, I do remember hearing about that, yeah. And it had quite a, quite a run... Uh, in the 50s with uh, pitchers like Don Drysdale, Johnny Padres, and Sandy Koufax. I'm dating myself. But anyway, uh, they had a fantastic pitching staff, and I I guess he was alluding to the fact that, well, maybe maybe the Los Angeles Dodgers uh, are that team now. Yeah. You know? yeah. <laughs> he had the blueprints. But um, anyway, if, if, if I don't know if there's anybody listening might uh, 
recognize a resemblance to an old 1951 uh, movie that was quite quite successful called Angels in the Elf. Yeah, Angels in the which Elf. Which was, was and it was remade in 94 I believe with Danny Glover as the uh, as the uh, manager, but Paul Douglas was the manager in Angels in the Outfield, and uh, it had a similar plot. Uh, an orphan who loved the Angels, loved the, the Pittsburgh Pirates, it was, in the Angels in the Outfield. Um, and they were always losing, and uh, she wanted them to win, and she, uh, she wishes that they would win, and these Angels come and help the team. And no one can see them except her. Ah. And uh, and Paul Douglas, the, the 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 guy who plays the manager, is supposed to stop cussing and cursing, and 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 if he does, the angels will help him and stuff. And that's mm-hmm. what it's about. Uh, the only twist is in Angels in the Outfield, the movie, uh, uh, the manager gets peed, not not the pitcher. Oh, okay. Um, okay, that was the only twist. So Rod Serling sort of stole this storyline and inverted. But Angels in the Outfield was quite a successful movie in 1991. So yeah, successful I, that Disney bought it and remade it in, in 94, and I think it was made again third time. Uh, not only is it personal to me because I love baseball, <laughs> it's yeah. also personal to me because um, Angels in the Outfield was actually a movie that was made out of what was originally a 38-page comedy or 98 page comedy uh written by uh for radio by a uh an author named richard conlon Mm -hmm. richard conlon uh was the pseudonym of father richard f grady of the society of jesus a jesuit who was in the chair of the english department at my university Look at that. The University of Scranton. And <laughs> Father Grady was also my English teacher <laughs> at the university for several English courses I had to take. And Father Grady wrote that script that became Angels in the Outfield and sold it to uh, and sold it to uh, MGM and they made they made the movie. And it made a lot of money, and it made That's a lot amazing. of money for Father Grady. And although he's a priest, and they take a vow of poverty, it was not lost on on the publisher of the book uh, mm-hmm. to donate a lot of money and books to the University of Scranton's library. And in fact, the library, as it existed when I went to the university, was named after Father Grady. <laughs> Oh, for, nice. for a very good reason, and Angels in the Outfield was his legacy. Um, well, look—we've got two giant Scranton connections that we've had on the show recently between uh, uh, yeah, Father Grady yeah. and Jason Miller. Uh, yes, of course, yes, Father so. Father Grady, not to be confused with uh, uh, the Grady from uh, uh, Sanford and. Well, I think I'll have me a little drinky winky. So different Grady. <laughs> no, a different Grady. Yeah. The, the the thing about Father Grady was uh, he was he was real cool. I had him one of the the courses I had to take was uh, about uh, the a- a- ancient uh, ancient uh, authors and 
from the Roman Empire and all that, and mm-hmm. and he he was very very frank. He first day of the semester he would come in and tell us, uh, "I do not take role each class." In other words, you don't have to show up. You oh, oh, okay, okay, I got you. Roll, or I was thinking, I was, wait, roll? Yeah. What? So, you just yeah. take roll call. It. Yeah, which most professors did, you know, uh, that was part of your grade. And, and he says, and I give you the answers to the, to the, to the exam at the end of the semester, so. Wow. <laughs> it was like, I don't want to teach this course, you don't want to be here. Go play pinochle <laughs> during my. <laughs> that was funny. He was great. He was a great. He was a great. Go guy. have some wild parsley. Parsley, wild parsley. Yeah. No. Yes, <laughs> and we did. We did. We had wild parsley and played pinochle during yeah. his his, uh, his class time. I mean, he was really cool. Nice. I mean, and I get, I did get an A. You know, so awesome. there as we Good all for did. You. Good uh, for you. One one last thing, Paul mm-hmm. Douglas, who played the manager in the 1951 film. Angels in the Outfield also played the manager in the original shoot of Casey for the Twilight Zone. Problem was that uh, during the shoot, he was knew this having a coronary, and his performance oh, was affected so badly that um, they couldn't use the original shoot and had to reshoot the whole thing. But CBS refused to pay for it. Rod Serling ended up paying for it and recast Jack Warden, who you see in this episode, as the manager. And oh, Paul wow. Douglas, who was having this coronary during the shooting, um, died the next day. Oh, geez. Oh, wow. Yes, yes he died the day after uh, production ended. And you know, Rod Serling just didn't want to show the original shoot because mm-hmm. he said for a comedic episode to have this happen and everybody recognized that he he was ill to shoot uh, and then he dies the day after production. <laughs> you know, um, Rod Serling uh, paid for the reshoot. And wow. uh, so that that's what happened there. So um, that was the connection. Uh, Father Grady, my died in 1989 mm-hmm. uh, great guy I really got a lot of pinochle that semester in and um, Father Grady went on to fame and he built our library yeah. at the university yeah I found, I found some old news clippings and an old playbill from the original play so yep. nice. posted them yep. in chat yeah well, they, they were they were a um, they were a uh, it was a radio show Originally, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what you're saying. So, uh, but Jack Warden, who played the uh, the coach, team manager, whatever, um, he actually <laughs> uh, he won an Emmy for his performance in Brian's song. So, uh, yeah, he got a little bit of a, of a typecast. And it Jack Warden, if uh, if you uh, uh, haven't, if you're not familiar with him, look him up. You've seen him in a million things. Um, uh, he yeah, he was one active of those faces from, of a character actor. Yeah, he was say, active. I, I know him. Yes. He was active from 1950 to 2000. So, uh, you know, uh, and uh, but yeah, I think and he passed away in 99 or 2000. 
but yeah, uh, all right. Well, Joe, thank you very much. But we we got to get going to the break now, because um, we're gonna get into to some. Uh, um, uh, we're gonna get into the chin. Oh yeah, <laughs> the chin. Bruce Campbell. So, uh, and this is a lot of fun because uh, Michelle and I have a lot of. Uh, a lot of similar tastes in film, so this is gonna be this is gonna be a hoot. And I got. Is uh, this a trailer block too? Uh, no. Trailer trailer break will be at the uh, bottom of the hour. But don't worry, we're gonna spill okay. over for your stuff, and I'll save all my stuff if we have time for the end. But if not, save it for another day. Uh, but yeah, so we'll be right back, and uh, Michelle's gonna talk some Bruce Campbell. Hang tight. Don't you know that alcohol is a lubricant for the devil? Sure do, and I'm just about due for an oil change. And now, on with the show. There they are. Don't you see them? What do you mean? Who? Evil! Pure and simple from the eighth dimension! It's going to be a good night. It came from Cleveland, Ohio. A land of strange rituals. The savage horrors of fearsome mutated beasts. Back from the dead. Kept alive by experimental science. Science runs amok when human beings tamper with unknown forces. Cut the power! Now at last, the real shocking story can be told. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. A nightmare combination of shock and terror. And you're invited. Foolish unto you. Something evil. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. Not recommended for impressionable children. <laughs> my boomstick. All right. Uh, you know, I really, I was watching that scene today, and I was thinking... What you know, a, a shotgun in modern day is, is like, well, it's just a shotgun. You know, you, you've got uh, all these other like crazy, high-powered weapons out there and everything, firearms. But if you think, I mean, it, it, you know, and I won't get into it too much because I know uh, uh, we're not going to talk about Army of Darkness uh, immediately. I'll save it. But yeah, it, it, it just the 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 sheer kind of power of that scene is pretty cool and uh but anyway welcome back to the show uh uh joe thank you very much for uh your personal connection to the twilight zone episode that was belated from uh delayed uh from last week uh that was very cool and th and i'm glad michelle got those articles too to go with it joe hello joe is anybody you may have there? been muted. <laughs> yeah. So, but thank you for that, Joe. Anyway, and uh, and Miles, uh, thank you as well for uh, your your uh, history on WW two uh, Germany overtaking France. Um, yep. And uh, Michelle, uh, we've got uh, quite the Bruce Campbell uh, 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 assault for everyone tonight. 
Yes, yes, we do. Um, I tried to stick with the Evil Dead, but there are one or two mentions, honorable mentions that I wanted to have too. So, and um, you know, and I, I was just thinking too, and we just mentioned, uh, we just talked about Maniac Cop on Robert Zadar's birthday, uh, not correct. that long that, ago. That was going to be one of the trailers I picked, but I we already talked about it, so we I think did. We go, yeah, 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 strictly with the franchise and just a few others. So, yeah, yeah, I, and um, I, I appreciate it very much. So, all right, we'll set. Go ahead and set it up. Yeah, let me preface this. In 1979, um, with his Detroit friends, Sam Raimi and Robert Tappert, I mean, Rob Tappert, Bruce Campbell raised $350,000 for a low-budget film, The Evil Dead, which uh, was released in 1981. Um, he starred and co-executive produced. Um, it, was, it took four years for them to complete this film. And at first, uh, gain... Um, Interest in England, where it became the best-selling video of 1983. Um, it beat I out bet. The Shining. I, I I bet because I mean this movie. Uh, you know I I I, I remember uh, I was at my friend uh, Steve's uh, house. Well, it was a trailer, <laughs> and uh, his mom rented Evil Dead to watch with her boyfriend, and when they went to bed. We sneaked it into the VCR and we watched it, and oh my god! It w it was a pretty vicious film. Um, I enjoy it, um, despite some of its content, which is it can be very triggering. But yeah. um, uh, but the funny thing is, it beat out The Shining, mm -hmm. and it, it you know um, and after its appearance at Cannes, um, Stephen King dubbed it the most ferociously original horror film of the year. And, and that's when New Line so. Cinema decided to step up and release it in the United States. Yeah. Yeah, and, and just so you know, uh, Evil Dead is probably one of the first DVDs I ever bought. And it's such an early edition of it. It's not even in a regular, like, a standardized clamshell. It's in, like, this oversized plastic uh, trans transparent case. Uh, so I okay. have a, a very early edition of uh, the DVD release of, uh, and I should see what it's worth uh, and, and sell it. Um, but yeah, it, 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 this movie really messed me up when I was a kid. <laughs> All I the, could understand the, why. The claymation, <laughs> the gory claymation and everything was just so, so uh, over the top. You know, in the cameras. Oh, of course. You know, in in um, I I watched uh, of course a lot of uh, documentaries about this on how they made it and everything, and how they did the camera. Uh, you know, like chasing people through the woods and everything. They basically mounted a camera on a big piece of wood, uh, like a two by four or something like that, and had one person on either side of the camera that's that's mounted in the middle. And then just running through the woods after people <laughs> with the camera. Yeah, because they had no budget, you know, so yeah. they couldn't afford like a real steady camera or anything like that. So yeah, yeah, it, it, the the innovation on that was just brilliant. Um, so that'll lead up to the trailer, I guess. And remember, if you are afraid of trees, don't watch this movie. <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, <laughs> but if you're afraid of plants, I might have a clip to follow up uh, uh, that, uh, well, if you're not afraid of plants, well, never mind. Here's the, here's the trailer for Evil Dead. 
Your girlfriend, you take care of her. Yes, yes it is. <laughs> lots of screaming, lots of chainsaw noises, things that are really creepy. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I actually, uh, I do have a, a clip here from 2016. Bruce Campbell was on Conan O'Brien promoting uh, Ash versus the Evil Dead. And he, he spilled the beans on uh, some of the secrets behind how they shot the film. Would you, would you like to hear that real quick? Sure. Here you go. Some people say that you guys got incredibly high for some of the scenes <laughs> in the first Evil Dead. True or false? Uh, high. You're talking about marijuana. Yes. Is that it? Yeah. You're, you're accusing me of smoking marijuana on national television. And you want me to actually say <laughs> no, that I did smoke we're marijuana? In, we're in California, man. Yeah. Uh, Everyone here has a doctor's card, you know? Well, we did, we did, in fact, smoke marijuana because we had heard... In the famous Jack Nicholson five, you know, five easy pieces. No, yeah. uh, Easy Rider. Easy Rider. That he smoked like 47 joints before he shot that scene, and we thought, well, if he can go on to become a, a very famous, notable actor, we can do the same thing. Right. And I had never smoked before. Right. I was 21, and uh, you went from zero to 47 joints. Yeah. <laughs> well, we also found out that the weed in Tennessee was uh, pretty good, apparently. <laughs> yeah. More powerful, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, we did not really film the scene successfully. Yeah. Uh, everything kind of went into stereo, but I did discern voices of the crew going, uh, this was a really bad idea, I think. <laughs> so, we, uh, we filmed most of it uh, over again, but we did continue to smoke marijuana because that's what our characters would have done. <laughs> for the craft. Yeah. Right, it's right. for the craft. Oh, oh, right. yeah. Sure, the craft. sure. So there there you go, Michelle. There's a little insight for you. <laughs> yeah, there were there were some there were some potent backwood growers up there. So yeah, oh, they might have hold some really strong stuff. <laughs> I'm certain. I'm certain of that. So but anyway, yeah, uh, uh, go ahead. Uh, you've got plenty of time uh, to talk. I mean, it we'll go to break at the regular time, but we'll continue your stuff uh, after the break. So Okay. 
yeah, after that, you know, he went on to uh, co-produce uh, uh, um, Crime Wave in 1985, uh, which was a comedy with um, Sam Raimi. Um, then uh, he was in films like Maniac Cops, uh, Lunatics, A Love Story, Moon Trap, and Mind Morp. Mind Morp 1991 uh, was where he uh, met his wife-to-be filmmaker Ida Guerin. Oh, um, nice. And then Campbell rejoined his Detroit colleagues to star and produce the second and third films in the Evil Dead trilogy. Uh, Evil Dead 2 in 1987. And here's the trailer for that, which a lot of people argue is kind of a higher budget remake of the first Evil Dead. It is. something out there it lives out in those woods in the dark something that's come back from the dead Slightly modernized trailer there, but that that was fun. Had some good moments. Yeah, it, it was kind of it was a it was a remastered one. So um, nice. yeah, um, what's funny, you know, it, it, Bruce Campbell, he's a, an amazing actor, but he is just he has comedic timing that just you know is exquisite. Oh, I agree. And, I agree. I mean, he's. And, uh, go ahead. It just shows early on in his career, and he played off of that for the rest of his career. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I uh, uh, just, uh, I mean, this trilogy, uh, the Evil Dead trilogy, and I know I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but what, what an evolution of a franchise. Uh, it, it's really unlike any other, uh, because you know the first one was so like guerrilla filmmaking and, you know, really creepy and really scary with a, a, a lot of, you know, rough stuff, um, you know, visually and, you know, topically and things like that. Then the second one is a remake to try and kind of perfect things, injects a little bit more humor into it. And then, I don't want to spoil it, but with, you know, Army of Darkness is, is, is so different than the first Evil Dead outside of, the visuals and the, you know, the, um, the, the storytelling the, and the, 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 yeah. the, the way they, they put things together, but they use mm -hmm. elements of the previous two films. So they yeah. make it, 
you know, they make it very complete, even though the last one is in, it doesn't even say Evil Dead in the title, but it still carries yeah. the character over. Yeah. Um, but between Evil Dead 2 and The Army of Darkness, um, he did another little-known show, which also has some more comedic thing, with a whole boatload of amazing character actors in it. And this movie is called Sundown, The Vampire in Retreat. And this was in 1989. And this was absolutely amazing. It has John Carradine in it. Bruce Campbell plays Van Helsing. Oh, no way. That's no, That's a perfect but, role for him, really. Yeah. And basically, it's about a tiny little town, like a tiny little ghost town that's been taken over by these vampires that are just trying to live their lives or their unlives away from the mainstream. <laughs> and here's the trailer for it. Welcome to Purgatory. This small Arizona community is home to a very select group of retirees. Here they live long lives, share the same desires and the same needs like blood how can you drink that stuff cold synthetic blood it tastes real so they won't have to kill anyone don't you ever miss warm human blood now come sundown everyone's going batty what kind of bullets can kill vampires ah! fortified wood david carradine morgan Brittany, and deborah foreman how is it gonna bite you in sundown now they gotta fight for the right to bite. Wow, that that cover for Sundown, that pose looks an awful lot like Ash from Evil Dead. Doesn't it though? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Wow, that's crazy. But I mean, and arguably I said, you know, he's perfect for Van Helsing. Arguably, Ash is the modern Van Helsing. Yep, he was killing undead. With a chainsaw and a, yeah. and a shotgun, yeah. I, I mean, because if you think about it, all the horror movies we love, and I've talked about this before, um, you know, we've got Chucky, we've got Freddy, we've got Jason, we've got Michael, we've got Pinhead, we have Candyman, all these different, you know, uh, monsters. But there, uh, there's only one monster killer in modern horror movies, and it's Ash. Yes, and they continue on to the evil, you know, Ash versus Evil Dead on, you know, on the the the, the Prime Channel. Uh, yeah. was it um, was it H? No, it was a uh, Showtime. Uh, I think it, it was, was Showtime. I think it w or FX maybe, but uh, Showtime or yeah, I think it was Show Showtime or Stars. I I'm, I'm all confused now. Um, but no, this is uh, I I really want to see Sundown, and also uh, just a, a quick mention. Um, he was, uh, what was it? Briscoe County? Wasn't that the TV series? Yeah, Briscoe County Jr. Yep. Briscoe County Jr. And that kind and of had some monster elements. It was a Western with some supernatural kind of stuff, right? Yes, it was. Yeah, it was, it was very well done. And there's a funny story about that. He actually, when he went to the uh, interview for that, um, he had this, this trick where he, when, when he, when he screened for it, when he went for the screen test, I mean, not the screen test, but the, uh, the interview, he could take himself by the back collar of his shirt and flip himself. <laughs> and he had, he had several callbacks and they made him do it each time. Oh, that poor guy's back. So, so, but that's what got him as, as got him that part, which was actually nice. very funny. Nice. So, um, but, uh, we have short time, so, uh, we yeah. should probably go on 
to evil uh, to army of well, darkness. Let's, well, let's. No, no, no. We're gonna we're, we're gonna continue after the break. So I want you to oh, okay, set. Cool. I want you to set up your. No, you're getting all the time you need uh, before the end of the show. Uh, because, uh, you know, uh, we, we, you and I both had some pretty dense, uh, material to go through. So, uh, set up our trailer break. We got some honorable mentions for birthdays. So, oh yeah, uh, we, we have an amazing trailer break and I, I, I'm, I'm surprised we missed them, but I went back. I wanted to make sure I'm like, I know there's some other people here that, that, that are around. And, uh, we had actually talked about one of them, but we kind of went over him because there were other, you know, more, more. Uh, fun names that we were looking into. Yeah. Um, we also forgot there's uh, June Lockhart as well, right? Isn't it June? Is that her name? June yeah, Lockhart? June Lockhart, yeah. Lost in Space. From She's Lassie still with fame. us, 95 years old or 96. Yeah, years. but um, but the, the the honorable mentions I have, we have Martin Landau. He's June 20th, 1928. We have the trailer. It's called Alone in the Dark, where he plays an escape uh, 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 psychiatrist patient, you know, as, as mm-hmm. from a, a, an insane person from an escape insane asylum, along with Donald Pleasance and a few others. It's a very fun little movie. Nice. And he um, won an Oscar for his portrayal of Bella Lugosi and Ed Wood. Go ahead. Yes. And we have Chris Christopherson, June 22nd, um, 1936, and his uh, movie as Whistler in Blade. Nice. Then we have we have a name here that many people may not recognize his real name, but you'll recognize his character, his most famous character. We have David L. Lander, June twenty second, nineteen forty seven, also known as Squiggy, and we have him playing oh. the principal in Scary Movie. Oh, nice, nice. And then we have the uh, the last honorable mention because we have to talk about him, Peter Laurie, June twenty sixth, nineteen o four. And we have him in the Comedy of Terrors with Vincent Price, uh, Basil Rathbone, and Boris Karloff. Don't forget me. So, <laughs> anyway, yeah, so there we go. Uh, we'll be right back after Michelle's massive uh, trailer break here. And we're going to talk more Bruce Campbell when we return. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick! Anything can happen when you're alone in the dark. Are you afraid of the dark? Sometimes. Sort of fun. I was scared to death to be alone in the dark. I always knew that there was something that I couldn't see that wanted to get me. What's the matter now? <laughs> I know that we're all a little on edge here tonight, but let's take it easy, okay? I mean, this is an old house. There are all kinds of sounds. 
Jack Palance, Donald Pleasance, Martin Landau, Dwight Schultz, Erland Van Blith. Alone in the Dark, from New Line Cinema. You better wake up. The world you live in is just a sugar-coated topper. There is another world beneath it. The real world. For thousands of years, they have existed among us. You keep your eyes open. They're everywhere. Chances are you've seen them yourself and didn't know it. A secret nation. Our livelihood depends on our ability to blend in. With a lust for power. We should be ruling the humans. These people are our food. They've got their claws into everything. Politics, finance, real estate. There's a war going on out there. He makes the weapons. I use them. Now, one will lead them to conquer mankind. Tonight, the age of man comes to an end. We're gonna be gods. And one will try to stop him dead. There are worse things out tonight than vampires. Like what? Like me. Half human. Blade's mother was attacked by a vampire while she was pregnant. Half immortal. You got the best of both worlds. All our strengths. None of our weaknesses. He is their greatest fear and our only hope. It's open season on all vampires. Wesley Snipes, Stephen Dorff. You're one of them, aren't you? No, I'm something else. Hello? Wanna have a little fun? Who's this? Do you like scary movies? If you thought the terror was over, if you believed the nightmare was finished, Ow! Ow! you were right. From the people who had nothing to do with Scream. Has it crossed your mind that your boyfriend was murdered and you're next? No way! They didn't make the rules. Oh, oh my god, he's dead! They're just too stupid to follow them. We have to call the police! No way! I ain't going to jail! It's okay, I'm fine. We'll get rid of the body. Oh. Oh. I'm gonna tell y'all the rules to survive this situation. Rule number one. Don't answer the phone. I'm in the house. Do you know where I am? You're behind the couch. I can, um, see your feet. What? Oh. Don't talk to reporters. The press only wants to interview the most ignorant person they can find. Oh, jeez! First cops now this? And whatever you do, don't be afraid to rise to the occasion. Scary movie. This is awesome. <laughs> <laughs>
playing Vincent Price, who, inspired by a seductive woman, is overpowered with lust to kill. Peter Lorre, too sensitive for both the life he lives and the lives he takes. Mm. Butterfingers. Boris Karloff, the ancient one, with a fount of sweet memories. Alexander the Great embalmed in honey, so they say. <laughs> Abundantly blessed, Joyce Jameson, an unhappy, unkissed bride. Aren't you coming to bed, husband? Rhubarb. The Cat in the House of Unholy Horror. <laughs> Amazing Joey Brown. Shockingly amazed. <laughs> and inimitable Basil Rathbone. Have it you, sir! Whose wrath will slash you to the bone. A mad killer, like the angel of death, stalks his next victim. Well, you're here because you're dead, Mr. Black. The hell I am! soon because this is the final segment of it came from cleveland episode 13 got some fantastic june birthdays uh and of course uh thank you uh uh joe for the deep dive into the twilight zone uh the great casey he was a robot he was a robot that got a heart robot 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 so and uh and and, you know speaking of which that's something uh you know that actually has a little tie to robocop there if he only had a heart right so, and the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> and the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, Miles, thank you. Uh, if only they had the knife in France, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah. yeah. But the Germans came in and said, Dead or alive, you are coming with me. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah, they and, were really put in a bad spot, though. With the, they, with the, they with were. The way yeah, with well, the way everybody treated Germany after World War One, you know, and the and the, the the financial hardships that country went through, you can imagine why people were a little irate. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I mean th- th- that was uh, uh, quite a thing to live through and uh, or die in. And yeah, uh, and then you have the whole fascist movement that got mm-hmm. created, and then it just became a, a powder keg. It was insane. It did. It did. So, all right. Well, Michelle, let's get back to Bruce Campbell. Uh, well, we still have some time left. And uh, 
Uh, we're we're uh, heading towards the third installment of the cinematic Evil Dead trilogy. Yes, yes, yes. We're going towards the Army of Darkness now. Um, it was it, it was this was released in 1992, and it was um, uh, definitely like the culmination of the Evil Dead trilogy because you know they had a lot bigger budget this time and they pulled out all the stops and what's nice about this is they combined it the, the horror aspect of evil dead and necromonicon and all that mm-hmm. into a a fantasy yes horror movie which really made it a lot of fun and you know, harken back to the you know, like Jason, the Argonauts, and things like that. Um, you know, and I, I think it gave like a little bit of a nod to maybe a Connecticut. Uh, was it what was it called a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court? Yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think that so, was uh, Bing Crosby was in that. I think. Um, I think it was like yeah, but wasn't it originally like a? I forget who wrote it. Was it a Mark Twain? Yes, it was. Actually, yes. it was. And by the way, the ending of that story is so dark, it's not even funny. Walls, yes. <laughs> walls of corpses and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, the, the uh, but no, the, it's very similar. The ending, the the alternate ending is extremely similar uh, in uh, Army of Darkness. But I want, I gotta say that it took uh, how many years was it? Uh, um, between Evil Dead Two and uh, it was four years, right? Ninety one. It was uh, Evil Dead was eighty seven, and yeah, Army of Darkness was ninety two. So five years. Oh, five years! I gotta say, I the end of Evil Dead Two had me fascinated, and when I saw that, I was sixteen years old. I saw that, and I was like, "Wow, okay." I can't wait to see a sequel, but they're never gonna make a sequel. And they did. It's one of those payoffs that I was like, oh my God, I'm going to, you know, you know, I need to see this immediately. I ran out to the theater to see uh, Army of Darkness when it came out. And I did not regret it for a single second. But, it, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things like there are movies that you see that have these cliffhanger endings that never you never get a payout you know you never get a payoff on them but this you know evil dead 2 was one of those movies where it's like oh my god and then it came out and they didn't call it evil dead 3 and i know there was a whole bunch of politics with the studio and everything about that but um you know it was it was quite remarkable so anyway i'll start yam stop yammering unless you have anything else to say before we get to the army of darkness trailer Nope, nope, I'm good with it. Here we go. In an age of darkness. May God have mercy upon your souls. Something's wrong, something's amiss. At a time of evil. You shall die! When the world needed a hero. The swallow our souls! And about to die! What it got was him. Groovy. You know your shoelace is untied. He's a 20th century guy. For that arrogance, I shall see you dead. Trapped in the Middle Ages. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. This is my boomstick. 
Now, let's talk about how I get back home. Foretold by a mystical book. Within its pages are passages that can send you back to your time. Forewarned by a wise man. You must recite the words, Klaatu, Berata, Niktu. I got it, I got it! Fulfilled <laughs> by a wise guy. Klaatu, Berata, Niktu! With only spoke the words, the army of the dead awoke. <laughs> now, he's got a date. Give me some sugar, baby. With the army of darkness. You found me beautiful once. Honey, you got real ugly. Sound the trumpets. Raise the drawbridge. Drop the Oldsmobile. From Sam Raimi. Oh, that's gonna hurt! Director of Darkman. Comes army of darkness. They live. They breathe. They suck. Army of darkness. So, uh, you know, in in it, we should mention Klaatu Barada Niktu is from oh uh, yes <laughs> the the classic film uh, The Day of the Earth Stood Still. And it's not the only time that those words were re recycled for something either. Uh, George Lucas, for Return of the Jedi, had three characters called Klaatu, Barada, and Niktu, who were, uh, I think they were Jabba the Hutt um, cronies or droid factory guys or something like that. Um, so so Evil Dead, uh, or, I'm sorry, Army of Darkness, uh, wasn't the, the first uh, to have fun with those uh those alien words yeah and then in the clone wars there was a cajun saw nick too that's right that's right so uh but yeah i rem i actually had the the figures i think for clatu barada and nick too when i was a kid um uh, i think i think they came with the droid factory play set which was like a Sears exclusive or something like that. It was weird, but no. I, but yeah, Army of Darkness. I, the Michelle, I, I'm so glad uh, you know we're able to talk about this right now because it was such a magnificent film and it really ramped up the slapstick and uh, some of the crazy horror. And I'll tell you what, there were so many backflips in this movie by the undead. <laughs> I lost count. Um, it's like they, they must add a few trampolines on set for the, some of the backflips that were going on. Uh, Nate, yeah, well, in, in the first one happened with the boom in the boomstick scene. Yep, yep. The, the thing is that the, 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 there was so much of that, so much of acrobatics with, with all the undead and the way they were doing mm -hmm. stuff. Like, um, like with the pit scene and, and stuff yeah. like that. And also, it was a, you know, more than the first two movies, it was a one-liner fest from heck. Oh, Everybody God. can quote this movie, I think. Yeah, well, I have, uh, in its entirety, I've got the full, uh, just to back you up, I got the full boomstick scene because I love it so much. <laughs> yes. So, uh, so, so here you go. There's a, and Joe, if you've never seen this, I think this, this, uh, scene here will sell it to you. Again, this is a guy who gets transported back in time to medieval England, uh, the, the time of King Arthur, 
and he has a shotgun. And what kind of car is it, Michelle? Is it a Dodge or something? Oh, I forget what it was. I I, I don't oh. know. It, it's a, it's a big old boat, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, so this guy goes back in time. He he's a, he works for S Mart, uh, Shop Smart, Shop S Mart, not Kmart. Uh, and um, uh, he a gets Delta eighty eight. Uh, okay, uh, Joe, you familiar with Delta eighty eights? Yes, it's an old right. Oldsmobile. Yep. Well, yeah. there you go. That's that. He's armed with a shotgun, and he he will explain where the shotgun came from in the boomstick clip here. But this is hilarious. But basically, he's uh, you know uh, a, a, a swordsman comes at him. And he's like, it, it's kind of like the Indiana Jones thing, uh, you know, scene from uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where the guy comes at him with a sword, and he's got a gun, but he doesn't kill him. He just, you know, shoots his sword in half. Listen to this. For that arrogance, I shall see you dead. <laughs> Yeah. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. <laughs> See this? This is my boomstick. It's a 12 gauge double barreled Remington, S Mart's top of the line. You can find this in the sporting goods department. <laughs> That's right, this sweet baby was made in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Retails for about $109.95. <laughs> Got a walnut stock, cobalt blue steel, and a hair trigger. That's right. Shop smart. Shop S smart. You got that? Now I swear. The next one of you primates even touches me. Yeah! Let's talk about how I get back home. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, you screwheads. Oh, God, I love that. I just love the whole description of the shotgun. Found in the sporting goods department. <laughs> yeah, cobalt steel. <laughs> uh, <laughs> have you seen this, Joe? No. Oh, God. No, but I'll have to. Oh, God. In, in the slapstick in this, there's like three Stooges nods all the way. There's some Gulliver's Travels kind of stuff in there, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it just all, you know, evil twin stuff. It's hilarious. Um, you know, it, it's a, you don't even have to see the other movies if you don't want to. Um, but I would recommend you watch Army of, or, or, I'm sorry, Evil Dead 2 and Army of Darkness. Um, because, uh, Evil Dead 2 has quite a bit of slapstick in it as well. Um, but yeah, so, uh, the, and Michelle, I wanted to talk to you about this, is that, uh, the, um, the end, there were two endings to this film. Yeah, I think I have the both of them, I have the collector set, you know, of the, the three yeah. movies together. 
So, and I think that was included on, on mine. Yeah, I have the. I believe I have the Blu-ray, um, and it it has both. Now the the alternate ending, not the theatrical ending, was very much. Uh, it was very similar to the Mark Twain, uh, Connecticut Yankee, uh, story. Uh, but the 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 one, and I'm sorry if I'm going to spoil this for anybody. Um, the the uh, the actual Hail to the King ending. <laughs> I got that for you too because it's it's a nice continuation of the boomstick clip. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll run that and let you run with uh, whatever else. I thought is. about staying. They offered me the chance to leave. Oh no no! I, I'm sorry. I'll set it up a little bit. He's talking to Sam Raimi's brother back at S Mart when he returns back home. Um, and, uh, it, 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 what's his name? Uh, God, I can't remember Sam Remy's brother's name, but he's a, a fellow co-worker. And he's Ted looking Remy? At, te, yeah, I think so. And he's looking at him. there's three and, of them. Oh, okay. Okay. I didn't, re I thought there was two, but, um, uh, but yeah, so he's talking to, uh, Sam Remy's brother is this kind of nonplussed employee, like, uh-huh, yeah, tell me about the story, how you went back into medieval England and and came back and, and everything. So funny. And he's just looking at him like, yeah, okay, whatever. And uh, and the, the whole shtick of the movie, one of the big shticks is the Klaatu Niktu Barata. He, he doesn't, he, he flubs the, the uh, pronunciation of the words to cast spells and, and whatnot. But anyway... So this is where he is, uh, back in his own time, working at S-Mart in the housewares department. I thought about staying. They offered me the chance to lead them, to teach them to, to be king. Uh-huh. But my place is here, so I swallowed the juice, said the words, and here I am. Did you say the words right this time? Well, maybe I didn't say every single tiny little syllable, no, but basically I said them, yeah. Basically. You know that story about how you could have been king? I, uh, I think it's kind of cute. Yeah. I'm afraid I'm going to have to ask you to leave the store. Who the hell are you? <laughs> Name's Ash. Housewares. Get 
Sure, I could have stayed in the past. Could have even been king. But in my own way, I am king. Hail to the king, baby. <laughs> so oh, classic. Yeah. So classic. Anyway. Uh, but no, th- this movie, uh, uh, and I, I knew I would run off at the mouth uh, at this one because I love the whole trilogy. And, you know, I, I did see some of the first season of Ash vs. Evil Dead, uh, but I, I did not see the entire thing. But these three movies are so complete and so wonderful to me. Um, you know, I didn't need Ash vs. Evil Dead. And I was a little upset by the restrictions they put on that they couldn't reference S-Mart and stuff like that. You know, so all right. the studio nonsense. But, uh, but yeah, it, it was, uh, it was, you know, probably one of my favorite trilogies of all time. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, what, what's funny is, you know, as, as I put in chat, um, there, there were three Raimi brothers. There was Sam, Ivan, and Ted. And Bruce used to babysit Ted. So, they, you know, they they really had, they have a very, very tight connection, that entire family. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's kind of kind of really, really cool. Um, but, yeah, and he, he parlayed that role into an amazing career. I mean, he's directed, mm-hmm. he's done TV shows, you know, he's a Hercules, he was in Xena, um, as we talked about, Briscoe County Jr., uh, and... Um, he was Bubba a jack Hotep. of all trades. Bubba Hotep. Oh yeah, Bubba Hotep is a great fun movie. And, um, you know, uh, a little known uh, uh, thing is he was actually in talks to do um, uh, a, a a final installment of the Phantasm franchise, where he was going to play like uh, a, um, an FBI agent or something like that in charge of like supernatural uh, kind of stuff, kind of like an X Files kind of thing. Where he he was gonna nuke the tall man's uh, dimension. There's a huge write up about it online. I read it like tw- I don't probably 20 years ago or something like that. But uh, but yeah, uh, Bruce Campbell was gonna do. Uh, there there was a, a proposed story to where uh, you know his character, he, another monster killer, he was gonna nuke the tall man's dimension and uh, put an end to him. And but it never happened. But uh, anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and he was, you know, uh, he has just been, you know, he he had roles in, you know, the the, the Spider Man small bit roles. He had uh, oh, yeah. X Files. Um, he, uh, but what's fun is about him, he's amazing. You know, they call him the Chin. You know, and he did the Ash vs. Evil Dead franchise. But before he did that in two thousand and seven, he did a movie that made fun of himself. Mm-hmm. Made fun of Bruce Campbell, and it basically portrays himself as being this really dick of a B movie star, and he's just mean to people. <laughs> and this this small town calls him and asks him to come because they're having a problem, and he thinks it's a publicity stunt. Uh-huh. And it's called "My Name Is Bruce." I thought I told you to ditch all this monster movie crap. You know his movies. Maniac Cop? Moonwarp? You know his name. Bruce Campbell is the greatest actor of his generation. 
Bruce Campbell. Hey, I know that guy. Unlike most action stars, I can speak, what's the word, English. He's kind to animals. Time for some hooch. Hooch for the pooch. He loves his fans. Give me your autograph. Ever see Rawhide? Yeah. Well, then you gotta keep them doggies rolling. <laughs> and... Mr. Campbell, we need your help. When your town's in trouble... A group of teenagers unwittingly unleash Guan Di, the Chinese god of war, protector of the dead. Ah! And unless you help us stop him, he will kill every one of us. He's the only man. You need someone who can take on a heinous monster and stop him in his tracks. For the job. That would be me. Hip hip Showtime, huh? Auntie has been unreached. I'm sorry, was that unreached? Grab your guns. You guys ready for some violence? I'll just have to limp along with this um, 31 longbow. 45 long slide. Long slide. Grab your women. Want to move that hand? Sorry about that. <laughs> It's time. And get ready. Are you ready for this, Bruce? Kid, I made a movie in Bulgaria. I'm ready for anything. For the legend. Then one night it happened. Retreat! They call... Shoot it! A rumble from below. Oh. Ah. You never told me that this monster was real. Bruce. Old... <laughs> I'm going to stall the one-ton wonton. He's a protector of bean curd! Before he rips my head off and shoves it in my face. Just you and me, Top Ramen. Bruce Campbell, Ted Raimi, and Ted Raimi. Well, it's nice to know that tofu really is good for your health. My name is Bruce. Where the heck did you find this evil dead shampoo? Bruce, that's drain cleaner. Maybe that would explain the burning sensation. <laughs> I've never heard of that. Thank you, Michelle. I'm definitely going to watch that. You have to that. see it. You will love it. It's absolutely hilarious. And Ted Raimi doing those bad, that bad impersonation. Oh, it brings you back to the, like the Charlie Chan days almost. <laughs> Oof. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, uh, uh, well, I'll tell you what, Michelle, uh, the, the, the end of the show uh, is, is nigh. And uh, I, I want to make sure you get in all your thoughts on uh, Bruce Campbell before we ramp things up. I'm I'm hoping we didn't go too long because I I you know but Bruce Campbell it's he's just one of those names you know he's not necessarily classic but he is a he is a a father of a genre all of his own I think yeah. him and him and Sam Raimi they hit upon a wonderful. A formula, a yeah. cultural staple. Yes, yeah. and it's so amazing. And I consider them a classic nowadays. You know, they, they, they mm -hmm. I, I think he would have gotten along well with Vincent Price and Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing's and Absolutely. all of those people because you know they had a lighter side to them as well. And he just, he just fits into that genre for me. So, so, it's a niche, and he, yeah. he, he. His genre was perfect, and he makes fun of himself as another thing, and I love that. Yeah, self-deprecation is always good, and um, and I'll tell you what. After this show, what I want to see is I want to see Bruce Campbell and uh, Peter Weller do something together, uh, because uh, they're they're two very different guys, but they are peers that have been in similar similar uh, genre pictures. So I don't think that cool. would be a bad uh, a bad mix. I that think would that be would be awesome. quite successful. Buddy comedy, butter buddy uh, slasher comedy. <laughs> that would be, or yeah, like kind of cops dealing with like a supernatural. Sure. You know, 
something or something yeah. like that. Because, you know, he's they both played cops before. So there yeah. you go. Exactly. So, all right. Well, thank you, Michelle. That was that was absolutely delightful. Uh, I appreciate that very much. Uh, You're most welcome. Joe, uh, what do you got before we uh, wrap things up? Oh, not too much. Uh, sounds good. I, I guess I have a few movies I have to catch up on. Yeah, and, but you know what? We you're, you're keep we got we had a lot of robots on the show tonight. We had the robots. We had RoboCop, and we had Casey. That's right. So that's good. A lot of robots. Nobody yeah. got hit in the head except Casey. You got beamed. You got beamed. <laughs> All right. And uh, Miles, uh, what do you got before we wrap things up? Oh, uh, um, one quick mention on the, uh, the 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 war thing. I, I wanted to bring up was that the British knew that France was folding, and France uh, should have, in my opinion, just turned their navy over to the British and they didn't and because Britain was afraid of French ships being used against them by the Germans they sank all the French ships in the ports ah the French well you gotta get your time machine rolling and maybe you can uh, yeah things up. yeah so alright well uh, thank you very much uh, next week uh, we'll check back with us we're gonna have a lot more fun right here on it came from cleveland and be sure to check out time for go to bed every thursday from 7 to 9 p.m eastern on radio for humans that's all we got we'll see everybody in the funny papers go ahead and run Run home and cry to mama. Me? I'm through running! <laughs>